Hello everybody and welcome back to some interseason goodness from the sequelizers. I'm your host as always Jack Chambers and joining me also as always it's Matt Stogden. Abracadabra bitch. <laughs> <laughs> oh that's that's appropriate that's I think that's one of your best for a while now. That's, that's very good. <laughs> Low bar. It's a low Fucking bar, my friend. All the I did for the uh, work and the word sequelized into all the quotes from series seven. It's like, nope, all you had to say was abracadabra, okay. bitch, Matt. It's the best of the interseason ones for this interseason. How about that? Again, as Tim said, low bar, but I'm okay with yeah, that. Yeah, it's a low bar, but you, you smashed it, mate. Thank you. <laughs> See you next week, everybody. Yeah, and speaking of smashing it, also joining us, it's Tim Matum. Illusions, Michael. A trick is something a whore does for money. Or cocaine. <laughs> Brilliant. Oh dear. Um, so we're talking about prostitutes on this week's episode. <laughs> we were literally before the episode started. <laughs> Matt was telling us a story from Amsterdam. Did you say Amsterdam? That's yeah, right. featuring a very excellent uh, magic trick. Because in this week's episode, we're talking about magic in films, and the topic of this episode was picked by one of our executive producers you can go to patreon.com slash sequelizers and you can become an executive producer i brush my teeth in between and my mouth is like extra who's editing this one me ah you're fine then (laughs) i like we say that as if it matters who's editing this (laughs) not my problem that's why it matters (laughs) If you yourself would like to become an executive producer, you can go to patreon.com slash sequelizers. There's a few different tiers, a few different rewards, everything from early access and ad-free episodes to exclusive bonus episodes and bonus content, discounts on merch, exclusive merch. And if you go up to the executive producer tiers, up to the toppest of tiers, you can actually get a shout out on the show and in the very top tier, pick an episode as well. Like these gentlemen have done, our executive producers are Jonathan Firth-Clark Expelliarmus Tyler Rogers What have I been telling you all night? The closer you look, the less you see Mike Salvia First time I tried to change the world, I was hailed as a visionary Stuart Main Second time, I was asked politely to retire (laughs) Andrew Steen Josh van der Sluis. Alchemy, the science of understanding, deconstructing, and reconstructing matter. And the man who has picked this week's interseason topic. Xenos. So this is quite the topic suggested by Xenos because there are really kind of a few different ways we can approach this and we're going to kind of touch on a bit of everything. As always, we're going to do a kind of an opening discussion and then we're going to go into more details about some of our picks about our favourite moments, favourite magic in films and, and magical battles and types of magic and all this kind of stuff. And you might be thinking like, oh yeah, they're going to be talking about like, you know, magicians and stuff and whatever. Or, oh yeah, they're going to be talking about Lord of the Rings. That's got magic in it. It's like, well, therein lies the conundrum, dear listeners, because they're both magic. 
The um, question is, is the Dark Knight pencil trick a magic trick? Or is it just, <laughs> is it just a salt? A two-hour analysis by the sequel. <laughs> I see this pencil disappear. Sticks up his ass. He goes, oh. Oh. <laughs> Back to Amsterdam. Um, no, so it, it's, it's a... It is a problem of classification. And I remember writing this out in the notes and we were doing it on a Google Doc. And as I was writing it, Tim sort of went and started typing over what I was typing because I was <laughs> typing uh, performance magic or real magic. And Tim went, supernatural magic. <laughs> <laughs> There's no real magic, Matthew. Um, so apparently I was overrode on that one. Um, but it, arguably, performance magic is the real magic. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You've got it around the wrong it's, way. It's the magic that can happen in real life. Yeah, right? that's yeah. the one that can happen in real life. And real magic. <laughs> magic is also a really... Fantastic <sighs> card game. Yeah, it is. Yeah, Classic. It, it's, it's, it's long-lasting and award-winning, certainly. But it's a highly contested word. Because in film especially... It can be the fucking force, which is just space wizards. It can be the feeling somebody gets when they're in love. It can be all kinds of things. It can be literally an, an Ant-Man card trick. And he spews cards out of his mouth. Who's the strongest magician in the MCU? Turns out Ant-Man. He didn't get snapped away. Or Jimmy Woo. Maybe Jimmy oh, Woo. Yep, that's true. That's true. He's but that's kind of the point. It. It's cinema offers something, or all fiction in truth, offers something that is a little problematic with something as loose as the word magic. Magic officially obviously comes from, in theory, folklore and other bits and pieces, and us as you know, animalistic beings not understanding things, so therefore it's, oh, it's weird, magic, I don't understand it. And the, the way that it's the, the, the Arthur C. Clarke quote of oh, yes. any technology that's not fully understood it can be classified as magic kind of thing. Precisely. Yeah. Exactly. And that's you, kind of You exactly show a it. smartphone to a caveman and they'll be like, it's magic, oh my God. I mean, you show a fucking t-shirt to a caveman that'd be freaking out <laughs> like yeah what's this so is it, what, what beast is this you know hewn from a, a worm <laughs> yeah um so you, you smush the worms together and then put them in a paste and then made clothes well we kind of kind of milk them sorry what <laughs> talking about silk ladies and i was gonna say are you going back in time in silk <laughs> rather than that. cotton <laughs> you better believe i'm traveling i want to be comfortable in my time traveling <laughs> Oh, I don't... Okay, okay. Oh, well, time machine is very luxurious. <laughs> it sounds like he's going back in fucking pyjamas. <laughs> no, yeah. it, no, it's just the time travel from um, Austin Powers. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Fair enough. I, don't, I can't... From come. 99 to 69. You know what I mean? dispute that. <laughs> so, it is difficult to quantify and clarify because it is open to interpretation in terms of... In real life, it's always like, oh, your granny sees something weird at the back of the garden. That must have been magic fairies. Oh, thank you, granny. Or alternatively, it's like, oh, the, <laughs> you know... The feeling someone gets at yeah, Christmas. Oh, it's magical. Yeah, yeah. Magical Christmas feeling. There's all that sort of, you know, mm. use of the word. But in film and in fiction, it's very clear what it is. It's a man doing a deck of cards or it's a man making sparks come from his hands, like, in terms of a visual effect or actually happening. Like, oh, no, I'm going to torture you with this effect. There's all, obviously not exclusively just a man. There's all kinds of things that you can interpret as magic, in in, including, in theory, in th in Thor in the MCU I can't keep fucking using MCU examples we always go back to the oh, MCU know, it's so annoying it's so, so, it's so very obviously white men podcast but <laughs> at the same time it's the line where he says to Jane well you know your people call it magic we call it technology it's just one between two it's kind of there kind of both it's like 
Yeah, yeah. Doctor Strange exists, though. Are they gods? <laughs> Are they aliens? Oh, wait, yeah. there's alternate dimensions where Doctor Strange pulls energy from another dimension to power, like, three-foot-wide discs on his arms? Like, is that, <laughs> sure. is that really what you're going to do? You're just going just gonna to do little discs. Yeah. When you're pulling dimensional energy from the universe, <laughs> or he can just see 15 million possibilities in the future. Like, Sure. Why, why aren't you doing that all the time? That's, that's he's, doing amazing. His, he's doing it to find the best energy bill. <laughs> yeah. um, but we can save you on your car insurance by <laughs> reviewing 15 million possibilities. I, I'm surprised no one hasn't done that yet. Um, the point is that it gets very tricky to actually define what magic is on film because there's so, much, so many examples of what it could be and what it is. Even something as simple as coincidence in film could be construed as magic. And you're like, but it hasn't said it's magic so i don't know if it is or it isn't again the, the, the a very simple and obvious and very much on brand for the podcast um example is star wars is the force magic or is it tiny gut bacteria <laughs> called midichlorians no, they're, um, they're, blo they're bloodstream like mitochondria thank you yeah okay so no no but is it is it it sounds like it's a symbiotic sort of like you know parasitic sort of in, <laughs> thing but in the original trilogy, it's a, a force that surrounds us, binds us, blah, 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 blah. That's, that's how people describe magic. And only certain special space wizards can harness it and tap into that power. Not, not anybody, just the chosen lineage. You're like, <laughs> okay, that sounds... sounds no, no, everyone can do it. Oh, no, 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 wait, no, 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 it is about lineage. No, <laughs> or, is it, or is it anyone, even little kids with brooms or... Broom boys? No, 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 no. no, no. no. You have to Broom specifically boy, be... If you didn't know, it was a Kenobi. Lineage. Yeah. <laughs> But there's the point. It's 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 a very tricky one. So, for example, anything we no, I don't think our, I think our ones are actually not bad at all. The, looking over our list, no one's gonna complain. But there are several examples we could say, oh, oh, hang on, hang on, sorry, that's not actually magic. Like, <sighs> yeah, Thor. <laughs> yeah, Thor's a good example. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, let's see, Thor, probably not. Shazam, yes. <laughs> it's like. <laughs> Oh, okay. He literally gets it from a wizard. So. Yeah. I mean, yeah. just because someone calls themselves a wizard in an alleyway doesn't mean it's actually a wizard. Wait, what? Um, nothing. And <laughs> again, uh, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. It's all magic, but not spell casting magic in the same way. It's mostly religious allegory with altars and shaving and stuff. And it's like, what the fuck? And uh, the we get into like D&D, &D, you've got divine yes. magic and arcane yes. magic. <laughs> like they're... Powered literally magics. by the gods and harnessing their power into the mortal <laughs> realms. Or are you studying and understanding the elements themselves and yeah. crafting them to your whim and all this kind of stuff? It's the classic introduction like, would you like to play as this character? They <laughs> shift the mortal realms around them, blah, 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 and all this mm. kind of stuff. Like, but that is a thing that happens in film, like different franchises and different stories oh, and different worlds all interpret it in completely different ways. And something I'll definitely touch upon in one of my picks mm. is the different kind of restrictions and abilities that particular users of that uh, magic. The, we're talking about su supernatural magic now, rather than the the practical, actual, you know, sleight of hand shit, pen and teller, Harry Houdini type stuff. Sure. Do you have you can establish restrictions and rules in that universe or on that world or on this particular group of people or the users of that magic or whatever? and give it a unique twist that then separates it from other ones. 
Or you can go with kind of like, yeah, people can do whatever. They can teleport, they can fly, they can shoot lightning bolts out of their hands, all that kind of stuff. And I just described a bunch of stuff that Jedi do in the films. <laughs> They're space wizards. Yeah, I think, uh, so that's often referred to as as hard magic systems versus soft magic yes. systems, where a hard magic system has has rules that are defined and you then work within those um, and obviously it's still involving supernatural stuff, but it might be that like, oh, well, you know, if you're going to do a spell, then you need uh, you need a staff because that's what it channels the energy through. And so you need you components don't have a staff, that are then used up like in Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. Um, and all those kind of things. Whereas if you take, for example, magic in Lord of the Rings, it Gandalf can just kind of do what he likes. And there's oh, never shit. really any like hard limits <laughs> on what he can do. Uh, established and you know when even in moments where there there might be it it's sort of just kind of arbitrary and i think a lot of that has to do with how central the performance of magic and again we're talking about supernatural magic here is to the story you're telling like because gandalf is is a mentor figure and slightly removed from the core story of the fellowship him just being able to kind of wave his hands and do whatever is kind of fine because it doesn't occasionally he feels like a deus ex machina but like he feels like that when he just shows up with a bunch of riders of row row <laughs> and and, yeah. and uh breaks the siege like there's nothing ma particularly magic about that apart from having the sun come apart up from, at yeah, exactly the, light, the right time yeah, behind yeah. him kind of thing do you think he was but, waiting there for an hour going nope wait wait hold wait. on Are i think worth it. for it yeah <laughs> wait for it go now go now, now. Think, quick, 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 quick. we're gonna miss it i think and I'm sure we'll get into. I definitely want to talk about this as well, of like hard hard magic versus soft magic. And I think the risk that you run with soft magic systems, where stuff can just do whatever you like. I see you, Matt, sniggering away at the mention of hard and soft. <laughs> Amsterdam. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> the origins and, of hard magic. <laughs> Amsterdam red light district. Continue uh, to. Soft and soft magic it, can soft feel magic. like you're pulling solutions out of your ass because there's no established. <laughs> rules keeping the Amsterdam what, metaphor going there. <laughs> yeah for what can and can't be done yes so entirely. there's a there's a you run the risk that it's just going to feel like at the end of the day something happens and people go ah oh, but he did it with magic so it just doesn't, exactly. there's no absolutely there's no yeah. consequences to it the the benefit you have with a with a hard magic system is that because there are rules that are set people know what to expect and therefore you can also do stuff where people find clever ways around those rules or using within that system to do something unexpected. Um, and so it becomes more about often the the intelligence of the user n taking what they know and going like, ah, okay, but if I combine this with this, I can do that. And the, the, the bad guy will never see it coming because they're, you know, locked into their way of thinking or whatever. Yeah. Um, it's, it's something that happens a lot in fantasy fiction, in, you know, role-playing games, TV, et cetera, everywhere. Um, and I think with films, this is just a completely just going off the gut feeling. I have not done any research and counted mm. like how much soft magic in films versus hard magic. But I think films, because they tend to be, they're shorter, they're telling more concrete stories and they're not as likely to be like a, like a long series of films kind of thing. They're happier using soft magic because you can, you, you, yep. when you are in control of the plot and it's a set amount of story, you don't have to worry about like a wizard showing up and doing, you know, something weird and and invalidating all the effort that's gone into a plot. Yeah, 
in stuff like role playing games, you need that structure because you can't just have a your you know video games or whatever. You can't have players just rewriting reality because how do you have tension and stakes then? Um, and with uh, in long longer form storytelling like TV, if you have a soft magic system, it's more likely to drift and the characters get more and more powerful and and can do whatever they like and all sense of like order and rules just completely fades away. Yeah, um, that's definitely something we'll touch on in a couple of our picks later on. Because I know between us, we've got some soft and some hard stuff. True. And in terms of restrictions, turning to the other side of magic, the practical, real magicians on stage and card tricks and pulling hats out of rabbits and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> Said that on purpose, don't worry. Oh, I figured. That also has its restrictions on film as well, because now... People can use camera trickery to do stuff. Mm. David Blaine was called out for this when he was doing his TV show a lot, where the the most famous, the one that always sticks out in my mind, and for years, how the fuck did he do that? And I must have seen it when I was fairly young. He pulls a watch out of a shop window and puts a piece of newspaper up against the shop window, puts his hand through the paper, through the window, grabs mm. the watch, pulls the watch out and gives it to somebody on the street. Well, that's that's physically not possible <laughs> unless you've either gimmicked the window, which means he's already cut a hole in it and he just puts his hand through a hole, mm. or you're doing camera trickery and he's not actually doing that. But you've got the people reacting on the street, so is it? Mm. are they actors? Are they in on it? Like, how does this work? In film, you can do the same thing. And there's there's typical examples of, like, you have a film that is about performance magic or street magic or whatever it is, but they just do it with camera trickery instead. And I know we'll, we'll touch on this later on because I know this is something we want to talk about, but now you see me, mm. the scene where they're passing the card between each other and they're like, oh no, have to, the, is it like a micro trip or something? It's all like card tricks and it's like going up their sleeve and across and mm. then sliding it across the floor and oh, Woody Harrison's caught it in his hat and then it's mm. over to Isla Fisher mm-hmm. and blah, 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 blah. Uh, there were... Some of the cast had learned like legit magic tricks, particularly Dave Franco learned how to like pickpocket properly and stuff because that's mm. his character. And they were like, "Did did you do it?" And he was like, "Yeah, yeah. Look, I've got his watch." I'm like, well, we didn't catch it on camera. I'm like, good. I can <laughs> pickpocket. It was like, no, no, no. We need to see you do it, but otherwise the the audience don't know you're a pickpocket. It's like, well, then I'm not pickpocketing very well. If you can fucking watch, <laughs> if you can watch me do it in real time, I'm not a good pickpocket. Yeah. And this character is like master thief level pickpocket. So you have the opposite thing where you use film to explain how real magic is done in real life and slow it down so the audience can follow it because real magic is purposefully fast so you don't follow the sleight of hand. It's like, oh my God. Either, they, either they're using cameras and you know movement and stuff to, to trick the audience into thinking, wow, David Blaine put his hand through a pane of glass. Fucking hell. He didn't. Or, oh, wow, Dave Franco's a really shit pickpocket because I just watched him <laughs> pick that guy's watch off his hand. Like, no, Dave Franco can really do that in real life, but that's not how the movie works. <laughs> and it's a, it's a weird balance you must strike for that kind of stuff. I Like, we'll get back into Now You See Me and Definitely. Now You See Me Too, which, why the fuck didn't they call it Now You Don't, you know? <laughs> but, oh, what, a, because, what a missed opportunity. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's very on brand for those two films because it's so frustrating because the idea of like, oh, we're going to do like 
when when it was first kind of being trailered, it was like, oh, it's the Fast and the Furious films, except it's magic instead of cars, basically. <laughs> um, it's like fucking great, and there is something so wonderful um, about watching high quality magicians, like stage magicians, perform their craft because. It genuinely boggles the mind at like how some of this stuff is done. You can, yeah. you know, uh, seeing performances or watching it on TV or on YouTube or whatever. Like there are some amazing illusionists out there, and I genuinely don't know. You could like you could explain the tricks to me, and I'd still be like, "That's fucking incredible!" Like, mm-hmm. how do you do it so so precisely with such good timing? Yeah, and perfect example of that is the... is Penn and Teller's "Fool Me." I don't know if you've yes. ever "Fool Us," "Fool yeah. Us," where magicians go on stage and do it in front of Penn and Teller for those of you who don't know who are a legendary like Las Vegas based mag- magical duo of this really tall guy called Penn Gillette and this tiny mute guy called Teller and they do they have been doing magic st- tricks together for like 40 years at this point mm. and they know all the ins and outs of all the possible tricks and card tricks and catching a bullet in your teeth and all this kind of crazy shit and it's the magician's jobs to go on stage and come up with a way to do a trick or invent a trick that the experts and the legends can't predict themselves. Mm. I think that's such an interesting premise. And like you said, yeah. Tim, it's fascinating when you see something like that. You can fool me all day long. I don't. I I love magic, but I don't know what the yeah. fuck to do. I have basically <laughs> no hand coordination at all, apart from like guitar playing, I guess. That's hand coordination, yeah. I but know. I can't like palm a card up my sleeve or even cut and shuffle a deck of cards properly or anything like that. But when you see them falling experts and stuff like, oh man, that's that's insane, that's amazing, and that feels really special. But that that and that was the frustrating thing about now you see me because they they didn't bother yeah. putting in that work and exactly. they just were like, yeah. we'll just do it with CGI. I'll yep. we'll just explain it away. And, he jumps and, and then, then turns into a bunch of pigeons. I'm like, yeah. Well, you just CGI'd him into a bunch of pigeons. Yeah. <laughs> what? That's not magic. Then, that's just film. And then spoilers for people who haven't seen that. At the end of the film, they go like, oh, yeah, and also magic is real. So some of us were doing actual magic. And it's like, wait, what the fuck? <laughs> like, no, you have. And they're at, like. And we're talking about real magic, not the other magic. Real, real yeah, magic. Exactly. <laughs> Supernatural magic. Um, <laughs> so they, like, there are actual stories of back in World War II, they got stage magicians to help um, do stuff like camouflage tanks yes, and yes. Uh, build a fake city out of cardboard uh, somewhere in France that would make, that looked realistic from the air. And so mm-hmm. spotter planes from the, from the German forces would uh, be like, oh, wait, that's the town we're aiming for. As, as a man who's written destroy it. a comic about D-Day. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they built an entire inflatable army that's right. to, to trick, because uh, Hitler was convinced <laughs> that they were going to land in a particular part of France. I was like, there's no, there's no way they're going to go to Normandy. That's fucking stupid. It's all stormy and choppy and dark and horrible. They're going to go further. They're coming to Calais. Definitely they'll go to Calais. So the Brits, and like you said, they employed like craft experts and magicians and stage like costuming experts and all this kind of stuff to build like mannequins and inflatable tanks and stuff <laughs> and buildings made of cardboard that if they flew over, it's like, oh, fuck, the British army's there. They're yeah. definitely landing in the north. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely. Whereas they've all moved down secretly, mm-hmm. heading down to Normandy. Mm-hmm. It's such a cool, clever like, idea. That's, that's a fascinating story that you could tell. Uh, or, 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 like, you know, yeah, like fucking card thieves who, you know, or, uh, sorry, thieves who use card tricks and illusion skills to, to ply their trade. You know, like, that's really interesting. If you just, res- you know, 
don't put the effort in and just go like it's fine we'll fake it in cgi yeah you know it it completely it's it's exactly like you said with the david blaine thing of like if you're just using camera trickery it robs it of any because there's a there's a wonder of seeing something fantastic and going like oh it's you know so amazing but there's there's a secondary wonder of that's so clever and i never would have thought to do it that way in a million mm-hmm. years um and magic can provide both of those you can get the that's astonishing how the fuck did that happen and then you can get the explanation afterwards and go like, oh man, that's so. I didn't even notice. Like now they run it back slowly. I can see the thing where the thing is hinged, and the mm-hmm. person slid into it, and it's like, oh yeah, that's great. See, this is a transition for me. I'm about, I'm about to kick the fuck off. <laughs> uh, I might, I might, I'm, I, I don't, I can't promise, but I may end up going a bit too Tim Resident Evil here. Oh, so, <laughs> Angry Matt, not the debut of Angry Matt, but no, the turn God. of Angry Matt. No, yeah, I think just. I might get too worked up, but we'll see how it goes. I'll, t- I'll try it, my best. In the realm of magic, both fictional and on stage, shall we say, there are uh, arguments within the groups. So in film, you have uh, spoken magic, like we have to say this magic word, and hand-waving sort of magic. We have to have a sort of like, you know, it comes out of you and, and um, Doctor Strange and his fucking fingers. <laughs> or a totem, it has to be a specific staff or a wand, that kind of thing. Instantly, in, in, it's like, oh, that's not magic. You get sleight of hand, card tricks and things. You get cold reading, like, you know, Darren Brown Darren sort of Brown, shit. yeah, yeah. And you get the endurance stuff. And it's like, well, so David what's the Blaine trick? And stuff I'm like in that. a box. And it's like, that's not a trick. It's like, <laughs> yes, it is. And I tricked you into thinking this was magic. Um, I have a problem. So... Oh, we knew that much. Yeah, but I have a specific problem. Medic Apart number. from the one with milk? <laughs> that's not a problem. That's a way of life. Right. Um, no, I, 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 like probably a lot of people in the 80s and 90s owned a magic set when I was like eight yeah. or nine <laughs> and took the time. And it was, it was one of those classes, I think it was like, like Paul Daniels, you know, the British magician magic trick kind of thing. It's always like the same sort of, here's a bit of string. And if you pull it in a certain way, it undoes this knot. It's just, it's uh, okay, fine. Here's three rings. One of them's got a hole in it, and you have to be very clever. And like, oh, and here's a cup with a little red thing and a ball. And I say, okay, okay. And it teaches you how to do magic. And like any any craft, like artist, oh uh, yeah, any artistry. There we go. Like painting, or playing an instrument, or coding. In fact, for a, for a computer, it takes a lot of practice, and a lot of isolation. You have to do something on your own for a very long period of time. Uh, to quote uh, Desperado, practice every day. Just this. Every day. And then that's how you become a mariachi. Problem solved. And the thing is, unfortunately, it's entirely fucking accurate. Unless you're Mozart, just keep playing the fucking chords over and over and over and over until you hate everything in life. Then you're good at something. That's usually how it goes, arguably. Now, the difference is the outcome. This is where I start hating magic from a young age. Magic is not about, as far as I can tell, the wonder. It's not about the illusion. It's about the magician and the spectacle of it. It's about, oh, how did you do that? Well, I played the song. I practiced for a long time and now I can play the song. How did you do that? I can't tell you. <laughs> Why not? It's a magic. Fuck off. 
But equally, as mentioned in The Prestige, the second <laughs> you tell someone what the trick is, they'll go, oh, yeah, mm, all right. Or Tim's a perfect example. Some people go, that's fantastic. That's the response you want. I am special. I will have to somehow validate myself and my company. My company isn't enough. Being around me and talking to me isn't enough. I have to somehow woo you with birds and hats and scarves and then remain mysterious and sink back into the fucking shadows. And it's like, what is your life? The only exceptions you can seem to find are those who You're are acting to- like they only appear at parties <laughs> and they're not allowed, to, not allowed to have like partners or I've never seen a married or magician. families or anything like that. <laughs> I can name multiple married magicians. No, you can't. Just put it out there. Harry Potter doesn't care. You know, anyway. They're fucking Batman. Like, they are. Oh, I'm they too like I can't develop family or relationships, even though I've got like five separate children yeah. who I kind of adopted. But I'm, I'm a lone wolf. I'm a dark knight. Batman's a magician who can't do magic tricks. That's why he hates the Joker. Right. Well, so he does do the like smoke bomb thing and disappear. Does that count? Who knows? So that's what that feels like. <laughs> you know. That's magic. Fair. But the reason I was going to bring up uh, uh, Penn and Teller for a second, because... When they first came onto the scene, run DMC and all, um, they were doing a show in the States, which got them in a bit of trouble with the magic community. Yeah. Um, which was they were like, oh, we're gonna do we're gonna drive a truck over over Teller's head. And there's like lying on the floor and they drive a truck over him. And then there's like, right, come around the other side of the truck, please with me. And they show you how they did it. And the yeah. people are like, what are you doing? That's not how it works. And, the, and the same thing happened with uh what the magician's secrets exposed or whatever it yes. is in the nineties mm-hmm. with the masked magician. Yes. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> with Mitch thing- Pelegi narrating for some reason. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And being super creepy about all the very flexible women. Like, <laughs> oh, Mitch. Oh, you weirdo. That's like, you were good on X-Files. That's a... Uh... Oh, no. <laughs> I mean, you stay um, on X-Files, you creep. So, so in terms of magicians and stuff, I always find it a bit like, it's very, in, 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 uh, there's an exclusivity to it. Like, I have studied to become good and I'm not going to share this with you it's for me to look better than you. And it's like, right, okay. But interestingly, in terms loop this back to film, unless my own weirdness. Um, Teller's favorite trick apparently is something that's been shown in a movie. But it's based mm. on a real, real trick. Uh, I don't think it's in one of our discussed pieces, so I'm not gonna we won't be trading over this too much, thankfully. It's in the film The Illusionist with Ed yes. Norton and Jessica Biel and Paul Giamatti. You watched the same right. YouTube video didn't, as I did, didn't you? Uh, is, is it a pen, pen breaking down magic yes, in film? There you, there you go. Yes, yeah, I've seen. I've seen it before. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah so it's in the interview. He just talks about his very trick. It's, it's the apple. Um, no, no, sorry, orange blossom plant, orange tree. And it's basically a pot. And the idea is the old magic trick where you'd put a, a, um, a. I think it's just a cloth in the way, and you pull it back, yeah. and the tree's grown a bit. Pull it away. Tree's grown a bit. Tree's grown a bit. And it's all very simple. Um, the film version's a little bit more. It's CGI, but it's still like, oh, okay, you could. It grows in do front that. of your eyes, like yeah, okay, exactly. Yeah, CGI, and he, apparently Teller keeps saying we should do this, we should do this, and Penn's like, no, it's boring, man. We're not fucking doing this. It's, it's. I know you appreciate the craft, but no one wants to see that shit. It's dull, and that's kind of the, the thing for me. There are so many boundaries of the entertainment factor of why are we doing magic tricks? Yes, okay, my examples of being like a children's fucking party, <laughs> poof, and they're gone. <laughs> Um, but it does come back to the same thing as comedy. Why do you get? Do you into think com- the, the birthday kid is just like? So that's what that feels like. <laughs> <laughs> no, very few people who are want to get into magic, like like as like a six year old, want a magician for their trick. Is like, oh, can you teach me that? No. Oh, I thought you'd like Timmy as an apprentice. Fuck you. 
outside of children's parties and outside of huge stage performances, what is there for magic? It's and I always feel it comes to the same thing as comedy. Um, which I, is, I was I was waiting to make that comparison. Oh. You're basically describing the life of a stand-up. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And it's the whole like, why are you doing this? Because I'm fucking damaged, and <laughs> I need people to like me because I don't yeah. know. And it helps me process things. It's like, okay, fine. But the thing is, making someone laugh is, oh my god, this is this is fucking Inception. So when when he says, oh, should we give him a bad thing like break up my company? No, no, no. A positive emotion is always better than negative. And while people are like, you know. Oh wow, that was a fucking great joke. You're a laugh. I love having you around. Don't ever stop making me laugh though, because then I'll hate you. It's like, oh, oh no. But equally, you get to the stage of like, oh, I didn't know how he did that. Do another one. Or tell me how you did that. No, I'm not going to. Go on. I mean, on, I'm paying you. It sounds like you're the problem here, Matt, being the yeah, audience member going. Oh no. Oi, I w- Oi Darren! I should clarify. Do that. I <laughs> I didn't uh I, d- I don't think I've ever given a magician any shit. One has given me some shit once. We're at a thing. I was back did in you look too much like him? Is that the problem? <laughs> Not as a little boy, no. And <laughs> it might have been me time traveling. Who knows? And oh, here we go. Now we're he, he was this, it was, it's a time very, travel episode. It's a very underwhelming story. But basically, I was at this thing and it was like a, like a, a fate, basically. And uh, there was a magic show. Which is like a... Local fair for Thank Americans, you. by the that, way. That, 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 exactly. That and, bit in Hot Fuzz, it's that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and there was a magic show for like, but it was a different age division. So like, or it was like uh, the, you know, toddlers. You're not talking about your 18 plus magic show again. <laughs> <laughs> not this time. Uh, toddlers to like seven years old, I'm an eight to teenager sort of thing. And there was a great, great moment when I realized how magicians are assholes. Because <laughs> <laughs> of, of one digging into Matt's childhood trauma. This is surreal. Oh, we now no, know so where Matt holds this grudge. It's going to seem anticlimactic, years. but basically, they did a trick, and we all went sort of like, "That was very good." Clapped away. That's fine. That was okay. Did another trick, and he paused, and we we're like, "Oh," and we appreciated for what it was, but it wasn't very interesting or impactful. And he went, Ahem. and we were like, "Oh," and I should point out, this is like fifty kids. And he said, the younger audience had the decency to clap. And we went, oh. It's a, you're it's, right, mate. It sounds like you're doing the thing of judging the entire group of people by one example, Matthew. Just it sounds it like there. prejudice, doesn't it? But it's yeah. not, because every magician you, was that guy. You've met one person from one country, and now you hate that entire country, <laughs> because that one guy from Belgium was rude to you. Uh, the magician country can fuck off into the sea. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Why don't they share so, their wizardy secrets, the pieces of shit? Hogwarts so reminds me so much of uh, is a comedian I like called Pete Holmes. Oh, I love who Pete does, Holmes. Yeah, who does a bit about how frustrating it must be to be a magician. Like, aren't you glad you're not a magician? Because, and he 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 also, he compares stand up and magic, and he yes, says like yes. the thing about stand up that's great is that laughing is essentially involuntary. Oh like, yeah. If you yeah. if you tell a joke and the audience likes it. They laugh. You get that instant feedback, and and they can't control it. And you know when you've got them really good because they're just they can't stop laughing. Yes, there yes. is no there is no inbuilt reaction to seeing magic. <laughs> Fear you know, and beyond, burn them. I mean, beyond just kind of like I guess like a <gasps> yeah, but even that like you can see something really like gasp is more like if there's danger involved usually. Sure, like, it's like you know. 
yeah, catching a bullet or like, you know, sticking a sword through a, a box with a person inside or whatever. There's maybe like a gasp, but you can do like a clever trick and people can just, and all they do is like sit there befuddled and, and then maybe do a little round, a, a polite round of applause. Do that Barack Obama gif where it's like the pull in his face and I'm like, mm, not bad. Yeah, kind of, yeah, mm, yeah. That's, that's and he it, was yeah. like, the, like magicians' lives would be so improved if there was just an involuntary like you, if you see a trick and it and and it gets you, you just kind of go, oh, magic! <laughs> <laughs> and then you'd get people who don't quite get it faking it in the audience, kind of going, oh, magic! And then you're like, <laughs> oh, ma- ma- magic! Magic! Yeah. <laughs> it's like, eh. and then he like does the does the next part of the trick, and then that lands, and then you go, oh, magic! <laughs> get it now. Um, <laughs> That's brilliant. That's so good. Uh, but oh. but I think I think you know we've <coughs> stage magicians. Can fuck you off. touched on on an idea here, Matt. That like it does require you to be obsessive because it is so much of it is that the things that stage magicians do aren't necessarily like the hardest things to do in the world. The trick is making them look seamless yes. and flawless. Yes. Like the trick is to do it in such a manner that the audience doesn't immediately key in on your awkward movements of like secreting that key in your mouth or whatever, or yeah, hiding, yeah, yeah. The, hiding the foam ball in your armpit kind of thing. Um, yeah, entirely. It's, it's about pra- practising it over and over and over and over again to the point where it becomes entirely natural to you, which, you know, has a lot in common with, like you said, like playing an instrument and stuff like that. Yeah. Like, Olympic gymnast. That's magic. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, we'll we'll get into our choices. I think that there's uh some of the best fiction that deals with with practical magic, not the film practical oh. magic, although that is good. <laughs> but like stage stage magicians is about that obsessive nature. Yes. Um, because you, I will definitely I think, talk about that. That's yeah, one to, yeah, one to prove oneself. Yeah, I think you do have to like. I think you do have to be a little bit damaged to get to that high level because it does. It requires it requires a unique way of thinking and a willingness to do this thing that is quite isolated over and over and over again. And like you say, the rewards aren't necessarily like. There's obviously some magicians do really good, but then there's going to be a lot of people who are just doing like corporate gigs. Yeah, you well, know, it's it's a commitment to mortification because <laughs> let's unless you are literally Penn and Teller charming motherfuckers or Darren Brown how the fuck do you do that he's an actual wizard we should burn him kind of stuff <laughs> it's it's more the idea you end up as long-haired fucking Larry performing at some palladium somewhere at the end of this fucking <laughs> and at the end of the pier and you've got eyeliner on in your 50s going and now for some magic you're like oh <laughs> it, you're you're that fucking film with Jim Carrey and Steve Buscemi and Steve Carell, but Wonderstone. You're talking about the, uh, just des- but the incredible Bert Wonderstone. Yeah, I am indeed. You just described the life of rock stars and stand-ups as well. That's also that's true. Problem. That's, that's the problem. Yeah, everything you've said applies to those things as well. But we, as a society, give them more prestige and credit. Like a mm. uh, excuse the I suppose pun. Yeah, and I think the truth is because magic. No, well, comedy is infectious, as Tim mentioned earlier. You involuntarily laugh. That's fantastic as an analogy. Um, magic and wonder, it can instill emotions you don't necessarily want. The gasp and fear of, oh, how did he do it? That's fantastic. You turn to the person next to you, oh, amazing. 
or you go, no, I don't understand how he did it. And I'm, I'm annoyed now. I'm angry. Are you the kind of video gamer who plays Dark Souls and goes, fuck this, I'm not good at it. I'll never be good at it. Or are you one who persists at it? So you're like, because again, I, I give more fucking credit to somebody who completes Dark Souls on a Guitar Hero controller than I do someone who's a magician, <laughs> even though it's the same bullshit. It does, it's, it doesn't do anything for me. Oh, there's, a, there's a TikTok video, oddly enough. Hello, children. <laughs> TikTok How time. do you do, fellow kids? <laughs> there's a TikTok video, which is, uh, uh, I think it's two Chinese people, and they're doing these magic tricks, and there's one like, really salty bastard in the background who literally exposes all of the tricks. He's like kicking him. He's like, no, he's doing, he's doing he's this, this, this. But they're both magicians, technically. They're both performing sleight of hand. He's just illustrating it and like, fuck you, fuck you. And that attitude of, almost like a 90s attitude, if I'm honest, of if you're, you're you know, I'm going to bully you for being a tryhard, even <laughs> though both of us have tried very hard to be good at this. That's the act. But it's, it's, it's funny in a way because it's like, how did he pull that scarf through the phone? He didn't. It's got a plastic string on the front. And you pull it through the plastic thing. There, right? That's it done. Stop laughing. But we like that because someone's been shown up. Before we move back to, to supernatural stuff or, yes. or, or discuss our picks, the other thing I wanted to touch on is how early cinema, there's a lot of crossover territory between the kind of the, the, the glory days of stage magicians and the early days of cinema. Oh god! And how so much kind of the 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 kind of vaudeville per- period, mm, you know, you kind of yeah, late nineteenth century, early twentieth century, was when a lot of the great stage magicians were around, your Harry Houdinis and and people like that, and that mm. uh, that interest in that was at its peak. Um, and then a lot of the techniques that were developed around <coughs> that time, using stuff like like um stage lighting and mirrors and panes of glass and stuff like that were then translated in early films into some of the earliest special effects um, and using methods that had come from both stage magicians and the people who were like the kind of related field of people who would like do a seance and fake that there was a ghost there kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, and a lot of that trickery translated over into stage special effects, which kind of is an interesting, like charting that development. And now we get to the point where, you know, you've got CGI that can realistically recreate the act of performing a magic trick yeah. Yeah, to the yeah. point where the people who are doing it don't actually need to be able to perform a magic trick. It's like, no, well, it's fine. We'll, we'll fill it in later. Just like do a flourish and, and in post-production, we'll make it look like a, a card appears in your hand. Mm-hmm. Oh, you've touched on it, Matt. and briefly comes off the point you just mentioned him people like buster keaton and charlie chaplin oh in the early days where like the sets are built to spin around and things that look 3d or 2d and it's all illusion Mm. and it looks like they're filming in 15 different locations at once but it's actually the one thing that is just like spinning around and then it falls over and then he jumps over and then blah 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 it's that yeah practical element to that early film stuff that Mm. very similar techniques to like stage magicians like Houdini and people like that were using, like you said, in the like early 20th century and late 19th century, that kind of style was so prevalent in very early cinema, like silent films and all that kind of stuff. It totally makes sense that the two cross over, and that's how we get things like Now You See Me. It just explains it all. See, I, I, I actually think, okay, so, so in the early days of the, you're entirely right, Jack, but in the, in the early days of, of silent film, there was Georges Méliès. 
And I don't think a lot of people are going to watch a Georges Méliès film. They're short, they're brilliant, there's a lot more online for free if you can find them. So many have been lost, but that's not the point. Um, I don't think people will go out and watch a Georges Méliès film, like Le Voyage dans la Lune, but people might go and watch the 2011 film Hugo by Martin Scorsese, where mm. Ben Kingsley plays Georges Méliès. And there is a quote, which I'll probably butcher now if I remember it correctly, where he says, if you've ever wondered where your dreams come from, look around you, this is where they're made. And he's talking about film. And he does, and, and Millier's was taking, literally the, the camera setup of, a, of the cinema was very much the same setup as a theatre. One camera pointing one direction, filmed in like this glass greenhouse, basically, because you get the light in as much as possible. And you do ghosts and practical effects and all things would be like how do we do this and you they'll make it up as they went along very dangerous like with the the you mentioned like the harold lloyd buster keaton um chai chaplin sort of stuff but also at the same time it was just experimentation in a weird in a very weird fucking way the early days of the internet flash animation early youtube shit things that would go viral in that sort of early sense because we'd all seen that sort of stuff that would never have you know it would never survive now on the current youtube in the same way that the effects they were doing in the 20s and the 10s, even the 1910s, wouldn't survive in the 30s and 40s because it had moved on and progressed. And we don't give enough credit to CGI now. Or, it sounds a bit over the top, but creating genuine magic. You can, you can create fucking dragons coming to life out of painting nothing. That's amazing. That's astonishing. And I don't just mean the sort of visual effect of like, again, the, the visual painting of it all, like it's an animated movie, but also the sense of you can create a battle scene, you can create these little people and the computer will generate all this stuff and it'll have a fight and you say, go, render, done. That's insane. That's homunculus level magic shit. That's fucking old alchemy crap. That's weird. But we've just translated to computers so we're like, yeah, it's normal. Um, whereas if, again, it's the, the same thing of like, when you do your first, you know, 101, my first visual effects kind of thing, you tend, uh, weirdly enough, the first film I got nominated for, um, for myself, I decided to go back. I don't know why. I think, I think Francis Ford Coppola did this, well, I'll do it. And I made a silent film. Tim was in it. Um, and it got uh, nominated for- Thanks uh, for the invite, mate. Appreciate it. You weren't <laughs> alive at the time. Um, probably. <laughs> probably. Well, um, but it was, uh, we were invited to the, um, to London for the, uh, Limelight Awards and stuff like that. We didn't win, but it's fine. Um, but uh, it was all very good. It was very cool. And I thought I wanted to make a silent film. I want, and I don't mean just like a film like at the time the artist had come out. I mean like a German expressionist movie with the same sort of arguable editing issues. And I gave myself the same, most of the same restrictions. So I'd have painted backgrounds and stuff like that with forced perspective and things to try and think. It was all, you know, film school kind of stuff in a weird way. You do things that you think, that no one's asking you to do this. It's like, I know, but I want to try because that's, that's where this industry fucking started. And if I go from there, then maybe I'll feel better. I can focus on not worrying about dialogue and just go on uh, and the recording audio, just doing the music and visual, yada, yada. But yeah, so go watch Hugo for a sample of, you know, that transition, as Tim mentioned, from stage magic to we can present this on film with the technology that we have because the illusion of cinema, when it was first done by the, um, what the, hell, the Lumiere brothers, was this train's going to come out of the screen. Oh, no, it's not. Yeah. That was the carnival act. That in, was in what a, cinema was. Yeah, in a way, 
like very early cinema was basically just like another magic trick. It was a thing yep. of like, watch these images move on this screen and like, isn't it a wonder? Um, and yeah, it's it's interesting. And I think that we've lost a lot of the wonder associated with cinema because mm, mm. special effects have got so good that we have become rather blasé about what we see. And I think yeah. part of that is that filmmakers just recreate what has already existed and a lot of the aesthetic choices are playing it very safe. Um, <laughs> and there are some truly weird films out there that do interesting things with visual imagination that mm. actually bring back that sense of wonder. So before we get to discussing our picks for some soft and some hard magic, have a word from our sponsor. And today's podcast is presented by Podgo. You've probably heard us mention Podgo before because they've been fantastic and they've been working with us for a long time. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast. And if, like us, you have a long-running show and you have a weekly episodes and things like that, you want to get some money, it's a great way to do it. Podgo can provide a flat ad rate for you guys, so you always know how much you're going to get per episode if you include an ad from Podgo. And all the ads we've mentioned before that aren't the Stitcher ones are actually through Podgo, so you don't have to work directly with Podgo. You can actually advertise other companies through their system, and you get it all included. It's a lovely little platform. You can apply today to become a member and immediately get connected with other advertisers that fit you, your show, and your audience. That's podgo.co. That's P-O-D-G-O dot C-O. Oh, and don't forget to mention that we sent you when you have to fill out the little application form, because the sequelizer sent you to Podgo. Tell them who sent you. Tell them who sent you. So, now we've kind of touched on a few different types of magic and discussed some, some good things, some bad things. Matthew's hatred of magicians. All, all the typical things we talk about when it comes to magic. Should we get into some examples across the cinematic world, the history of cinema? Some particular picks, some highlights, some lowlights, some, some weird stuff, some interesting stuff. And since you hate it so much, Matt, why don't you kick us off? I didn't pick anything. <laughs> Fuck magic. Okay, Tim, what's your face? No, no, no. <laughs> no, okay. So, um, despite... Okay, we should, we should clarify. When we were talking about what we were going to do, we said we were going to pick two different choices to talk about. And then we said, oh, would it be good to restrict ourselves to an example of performance magic, an example of supernatural magic? Positive, negative, whatever it's going to be, but not do, like, what's your favorite magic? Oh, mine's the Force and Lord of the Rings. It's like, well, that, it's kind of the same fucking thing just to give a bit of variety in terms of what the medium in cinema can present and do and so on and so forth. <clears throat> so I'm going to go with the, the performance magic first, because this is a film I like. I ha now, now, here's a caveat. I liked it. I haven't seen it in fucking ages because it's really hard <laughs> to find. I've not even heard so of I'm it. So I'm recommending something it. to you. Yeah, I'm recommending something to you all that you won't be able to find. You might be able to find like a trailer in Turkish because it's a Turkish movie. Um, I saw it at a festival, I think, if I remember correctly. Um, but it's great. It was really fun. So it's called Hokabas. Hokabas, uh, which is now, uh, well, it's tricky. It means the magician, but I think it's actually wordplay in Turkish of it's like swindler or wizard or like, you know, the idea of like someone being a charlatan, effectively. So, you know, it's, it's, I don't think it's meant to be an affectionate term for a magician, uh, like trickster kind of thing. So um, it's a 2006 movie, 
Um, very, very simple premise, basically, by the way. Essentially, the, uh, hang on, <laughs> so much like magicians, Jem uh, Yilmaz is not only uh, a Turkish comedian, very, very popular, famous Turkish comedian, like a stand-up. Interesting link there. He's also the lead in this film, and he co-directed <laughs> it. And it's like, of course he did. He um, wrote it as well, but by the it's, way. Yeah. He did write, yes, well, he yeah. did write it as well, that's great, yeah. Did fucking everything. And it's a very simple, yeah, it's true. And the story is essentially, if I remember correctly, him and his partner, whose nickname is sort of Maradona, um, have, both wear glasses and they want to have eye surgery. <laughs> so they basically just escape from Istanbul. And there's other stuff going on as well. And the sort of caveat is they can borrow a camper van providing that they take Jem's character's dad with them. Because he's a, he's, a, he's a fucking cantankerous arsehole, but he's also quite senile and, and very difficult to deal with. And he wants to go to drive to the site of Gallipoli, which is a World War I battle site, obviously. And he's like, okay, fucking fine, we'll take him along. And it is basically a road trip, and it was advertised as a comedy. Now, a lot of Turkish people got pissed off with this because it was advertised as a comedy, but actually, it's more like Little Miss Sunshine with the sort of air of Rye Mel Brooks kind of going on. Uh, it's more about the family development and, and the, again, the nature of I'm very good at this showman stuff and I need to go on the road to do my performance to do these, these, the, the magic tricks, but it's seen as a lesser occupation, a lesser pursuit. You're like, why the fuck are you doing this? Grow the fuck <laughs> up, that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, oh, wonder, okay. I wonder why and, that and, would and jive with your worldview so much, it's, I don't know why, <laughs> but it, it really spoke to me. Um, even, in, even in through the language of Turkish, like, it was like, yes, I, I, get, I feel you. Um, but yeah, it's, it's more about acceptance fitting in. At one point, he's trying to do hypnosis and he's performing it against this old lady and she's basically dead. And then they just, they're convinced that, she, you know, he's just uh, killing people. And, uh, it's, it's very silly, very irreverent and very funny. But again, it has this sort of tragic element to the whole thing. I mean, the same way someone says, Little Miss Sunshine's so good, it's so funny. And it's like, yeah, it is. Don't go in happy spending like the best fucking time it's because it's still got like man. a lot of miserable elements. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yes. It has uh, some cast members are the same, but that's not the same thing. Um, yeah, so Hochabas is, I say, really hard to get hold of, but it is a nice sort of family journey sort of thing, as well as the element of not just the magician side of things, but somebody who's committing to something. And it's the, the thing we mentioned earlier, like I've committed my whole life to this. I want, I want to perform and do this. And it's like, yeah, but you're quite, he's not shit. He's good at what he does. It's just like, but what they're doing is quite a weird crap pursuit and society looks down at things. But it's a very fun movie. Um, my only problem with it, as I say, is I'd like to see it again uh, because it's been like 15 years since I've seen it. And I just can't find a copy, basically. It's really, really irritating. But if you get to see it, it's H-O-K-K-A-B-A-Z. It's uh, very good. And, and if you get to see it, send, send not back a copy afterwards. Please send me a copy. I want it. Yeah, if, if send me your, your illegal copies. I'm happy to take them. Uh, breaking the <laughs> law by Judas Priest. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I'm not going to ask these guys their opinions on it because obviously I assume they have you. Did you guys like see anything like a trailer or anything like that at all or anything at all? Never heard of it until you mentioned no. it. No, I think maybe, maybe there's a few clips online. Maybe I think like a, the, the Houdini sort of um, locked into the uh, glass case kind of thing. I, there's a few bits and pieces, but there is so little. But I remember it. Um, I remember enjoying it. The, it's like anything; the details sort of fade after a while. Because I watched it at a festival, as I said, 
and you see so many, and we, like you guys know this from, from doing the London Film Festival last year, you see so many things at the festivals in such quick succession that sometimes all the details sort of falls mm. away from you 15 years later. But um, I remember really enjoying it at the time. Um, and I recommend it if you can find it. Tim, did you want to continue the trend of the performance magic or do you want to switch it up with some supernatural I'm, I'm going to continue uh, with the performance magic. Um, and I've got a slight I theme think. in mind in terms of my two choices, they are both, rather than whole films uh, that I'm recommending, I'm picking a moment out of each of the films. And in fact, it is like a... in the trend, Tim. It is a, yeah, nice. uh, a fight, a battle in both films. Oh, so okay. for my performance one, and we've mentioned it already, I'm picking the fight between... It's the, uh, it's the fight between Rhodes and Jack in Now You See Me, which Rhodes is Mark mm. Ruffalo's... FBI, I think he is agent who's who's chasing them down, and uh, yes, uh, yes, Jack, he is. Of course, he the is. Plot yes. isn't important. <laughs> and Jack, Jack is one of the the four horsemen, the stage magicians who are doing these crimes. And to me, the the fight that they have, which is in a kind of uh, uh, an apartment that the group have been using, uh, and also involves um, Rhodes's partner, it's where the film briefly lives up to the potential of its premise, because. That's true. It's this very. Uh, it's a a very fun fight scene. You you kind of almost don't want to call it a fight scene because it's it's not like they particularly come to blows a lot. But essentially, Rhodes is there to try and arrest Jack, and Jack uses every skill that he has as a stage magician, as a pickpocket, as a illusionist to outfox Rhodes. So you have. Uh, he initially like traps the partner in a uh, waste disposal unit by like tangling up his his jacket and stuffing it down there. He does mm. stuff like he steals Rhodes' walkie-talkie and imitates his voice to send the backup to the next floor. Uses mirrors to to misdirect him, and there's a moment where they're uh, he's he's like throwing cut both cards as weapons, and also like flash paper to to dazzle Rhodes. Yeah, um, and it. It basically is a moment where it's like, ah, this is what Gambit should look like if they made a good, uh, a, a good <laughs> X-Men film featuring him. But not Dave Franco. Yeah, not bad casting. And I think, I think it is the, it's the moment that I wanted out of those films where it's like, yeah, these are all, like, obviously they do a bit of cinematic trickery with, uh, with Dave Franco imitating Mark Ruffalo's voice because, you know, he's not, an impression. Oh yeah, he's, he can like mimic people perfectly. Yeah, can't yeah, he, That's he does like this. He, kind talents, of, yeah. he listens to him talking and kind of it does does a line where it's like blending the two voices together, and then does a line where it's perfectly Mark Ruffalo's voice, kind of going like "Go, go to the seventh floor" or whatever. The smoking aces, if yeah. you will. Pull <laughs> <laughs> back for you guys. But it's it's most of the what is done in that scene. Obviously, there's like amount of bits of camera trickery and cgi with the, the flash paper and stuff like that but it's all skills that you can imagine okay yeah this this magician is going to be able to yeah. do stuff like imitate people's voices or um you know kind of while the guy is trying to grab him he can lift his his uh handcuffs from him and and then quickly uh, yes. attach him to a table or whatever like that it wasn't the completely outlandish stuff where they like jump out over a crowd and transform into a bunch of money. It's like, yeah, but they can't, they can't <laughs> yeah. do that. And there's, there's nothing that you've shown me to explain like, Oh, that, and that's how they did it kind of thing. It's, that's just 
you've just broken the reality of the film with that moment. This is very much rooted in like, these are all things that a magician could do. And that, that brief moment, I was like, now that's what the whole film should have been. I actually completely agree with you, Tim. I would say not only that, that a magician heist film is genius because a heist is all about misdirection and so is magic. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. It's all about great. flawless planning, misdirection, anticipating what other people are going to do. Those are all the elements of like, being a good stage yeah. magician it's such a natural fear and they f- yeah. fucked it up so badly <laughs> <laughs> they did and and what makes it worse is the scene you're talking about as a standalone uh, you're you're absolutely nailing it however spoilers for now you see me and fuck you if you want you're upset about that <laughs> must be what seven or eight years old That's at this f- point no yeah yeah it's fine until you remember that mark ruffalo is the ultimate yes, magic he's man. He's on their side. And it's he's like, on their side the whole then time. It, then it, there's like, he wouldn't be fooled by any of this shit. He wouldn't be taken back. I'm like, oh no, he did some yeah. fast number on me. It's like, no. So is he, you, is no. he playing along to not blow his cover? It's all part of that plan. That, no, that twist doesn't work because that implies he's been playing along for like 40 years. Yeah. He's been like the like, yeah. character even yeah. when he's, he's by himself. He's a fucking himself. FBI agent. Yeah. He has gone through whatever fucking training FBI agents have to go through. I, check those corners, Starling. Um, <laughs> that's yeah. the training. Um, I, I would think that it's amazing the idea that, you know, he gets it. That's my, my plan, my master plan. First again to the FBI. I'm afraid you've been declined. You can't come to the FBI. You're not ah, good shit. Uh, shit. That's 20 yeah. years already. <laughs> <laughs> uh, first again to the CIA. We don't invest in this kind of crime. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah so that that is my pick the the one good scene in now you see me where where it lives up to its promise jack are you gonna stick, gonna stick with some... performance or are you gonna shift over I, to supernatural i am gonna stick with performance sort of <laughs> uh, and segue uh, into uh, hey, we got the segue all set up we we planned it out ladies yeah. and gentlemen this is all part of the plan i'm gonna talk <laughs> about a 2006 film much like matthew but mm. you've probably heard and or seen this one <laughs> slightly more than a hochabaz. Yeah, it's like fair. Christopher Nolan's The Prestige. Hochabaz. <laughs> Turkish magician. <laughs> Christian Bale plays a Turkish magician. He would as well. Nobody Bale has a would fucking... He, he bigger commitment, would, yeah. yeah. He played a fucking Egyptian, apparently. Ah, <laughs> uh, Ridley Scott. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> the tricky thing with The Prestige... In the grander topic of magic in film, is that it is both on stage magic and the two main characters are magicians in like the late nineteenth century, and then it's just magic. Yeah. <laughs> then you have actual Nikola Tesla inventing a teleportation. Spoiler alert for a fifteen-year-old movie: inventing a teleportation machine. That clones people and shit, and you're like, wait, wh- what? Was yeah, it? Was it magic? Didn't work. <laughs> and then you're like, is it magic? And then they do the big reveal again. Spoiler alert for a 15 year old movie: that Borden and Fallon are both Christian Bale, mm. and he's been swapping this whole time, and he's been in the back of a bunch of scenes just with a silly fake beard on, but because you're not looking at him, he's there, and. 
legit, it's one of the few films I think of where I, you watch it a second time, you can actually see the twist coming and it's actually, you don't mm-hmm. go, oh, God. You go, oh, that's really clever. Oh, nicely. Oh, didn't really, fuck, that's Christian Bale there. He's there as well. Oh, my God, that's really cool. Oh, he's wearing a hat. He's wearing it's a also, beard. Like. <laughs> it's also one of those rare examples, which we actually were mentioning a couple of weeks ago, about book adaptations. Mm. And we said in that episode, there are only so many things that you can do to allude to things being different or the, the, the ambiguity. Mm. You can say in a book, oh, here's this guy who was with him all the time, Borden, has this friend, Fallon. Mm. That's it. But because they're both played by Christian Bale, you have to do a lot of actual effort to hide him, but not hide him. And that's a very, that's, that's actual film mastery. So yeah, I, I agree with, with, with that, I thought I'd mention it, as say, but, um, but then as you say, it also, it, it does magic and science and a lot of things at the same time. And then also twins. Yeah. Yeah. I think like, I know the Game of Thrones series, like ran into a lot of problems where there's characters who are disguised as other people in the books where like, or, or you don't realize that like, again, I, m- I mentioned Thrones, this before. Yeah, exactly. You don't rec- in the books, you don't know that Reek is Theon for quite a while. Yes, he's just referred to as Reek, and it like the characters who are describing him don't know Theon; they just know this like broken shell of a man. And then it's you finally uh, like understand. Oh no, that that's what's happened to Theon. Whereas you can't do that in a TV show because you you have a visual that is kind of an objective reality. You just have poor um, old Alfie Allen getting his dick chopped off. Exactly. Yeah, I really like the Prestige. It I th- it might be my favorite Nolan film. Oh, oh, yeah. Because I think I think that that is the thing of like if if the twist with the teleporter and the twist with Fallon and Borden was that was the final note of the film, it would feel cheap. Yes, because because you have like the oh they were twins all along is kind of like okay that's been done like having a secret twin Mm. is kind of shitty, as is the the. The having it swept under you of like you thought this was a film about stage magic actually it's a film about real magic or technology that's so advanced it might as well be magic but really what the film is about and the fact that it it kind of lets it play out for another I think sort of 10 or so minutes and, and lets those twists sink in is no you have to understand the lengths that these men go to like the obviously these these things are twists but they the real message of the film is like, no, take a minute and think about what that involves. For for Borden and Fallon, it destroyed their marriages. It meant like they one of them had to deliberately cut his own finger off in order to keep up the ruse, you know, yep. all these kind of things. Mm-hmm. And for uh, Hugh Jackman's character, it's like, yeah, he kept murdering himself over and over again, like had built this machine to yeah, automatically yeah. murder himself um, and dispose of his body and like didn't know really whether he was killing the original and he was just a copy or if he was actually transported and what was left behind was a cut co- like didn't understand the technology and and so it's kind of like a weird almost like a, a star trek episode where like a the transporter <laughs> malfunction it's it like is. what's the ethics of like killing off this clone who could be the original because there's no are way you to the same person it. that is transported or not if you're completely deconstructed mm. and reconstructed on the other end how can you possibly be the same person but 
you have the same thoughts yeah. and memories and feelings and all that kind of yeah, stuff. What you have is yeah. essentially an yeah. exact duplicate. Either of them could be the real one. Either of them could be the fake one. But the one who's still stood on that stage is going to get dropped through and drowned to, you know, uh, death. And, and just the, the, the sheer force of will. Uh, the quote, it's terrifying every time. Am I going to be the man on the stage yeah. or the man in the box? It's, it's literally, as it's, it sounds like hyperbolic, but it's, not, it's, it's true. It's very triggered language, but it's an, it's an act of suicide every single yeah. time. Yeah. Uh, and yes, okay, he, th- this one man has struggled all his well, life to it's, keep up. It's, it's like suicide or murder, act. I guess. Yeah. Oh, yes, but yes, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> either, either way. Either way, it's something that breaks your soul, yeah. But it's the idea that, you know, Christian Bale's characters have committed to this life. And it's, like, it's why he can see through very quickly. No, that's the magic trick. The old man, that's mm. the trick. That's the, it's not the, you know, the, the, him being able to pull out the giant goldfish bowl full of water on the stage. It's the illusion that he's a weak man in the first place. That, that's the illusion. And, and, and I, I like that kind of breakdown. I think it's fine. And again, that comes down to the fact that The Prestige is a very interesting book. And it's a very interesting novel. I think it's just adapted. And it, and it ties into these ideas of like, if you're going to be good at magic, you've got to be obsessive about these kind of things. And, you know. Yeah. Sacrifice yeah, everything and, but the trick. And, and that rivalry that develops where it's like, no, because they're so, because they've given everything to perfecting these tricks. And like, you know, like you say, that you've, you've, you've broken your soul in order to, to achieve this mastery. Like the idea that then you're not the best in the world, like someone else is getting more praise than you suddenly becomes completely intolerable. And so it develops into this murderous rivalry. I, I think it's a great film. And I yeah. think, I know some people really don't like the twist of like the, the, the quote unquote real magic, yeah, but I think, I think it's one of those things where when you watch it through again, it, it gains that extra layer and you start to go, oh no, I see what the film is actually about now. I agree with you, Tim. That's why I picked it. Because I think a lot of people feel the same way about that as you do about Now You See Me, where it's like, right, but magic is real now. So what was the point in the whole mm. twin trick thing? Like if, Hugh Jackman's character is actually doing that and murdering and suiciding <laughs> and whatever, then it's not a trick. It's just an actual thing that happens in real life. He's not doing anything special apart from technology, basically. And I think a lot of people find that annoying because they went in and weird enough, you had the illusionist that came out the same, yeah, like within right. like a month it's of it or something of, like yeah. that, yeah. which is way more about the actual practical performance magic. And mm-hmm. The opposite of spoilers, it doesn't have Tesla transporting and teleporting and <laughs> cloning people and shit. It's, it's all real it's tricks, real tricks it's all based, based on, on a real dude who actually was a stage magician and all this kind of stuff, yeah. Uh, However, that movie, and the kind of spoilers now, that movie does end up with basically theatre tricks and uh, the sort of um, sonambulist style, uh, what's it called, seance Victorian kind of mm. uh, medium shit. Uh, and cold reading. Yeah. It, it goes from the illusion of I can make this appear or disappear to I can conjure the dead. Like, what do you mean? Like, I can conjure the dead to accuse somebody of a crime. And it's like, wait, wait, no, you can't. No, that's not a thing. You're now messing with something. We went from literally you're doing a yeah. fun little thing. Yeah, that's cool. And it, the, the fact, the difference as well, the fact that you have an extra character with Paul Giamatti's character, who is a policeman who is obsessed with magic. He loves the idea of it, but he can't do it himself. Oh, I want to know the trick about the um, the orange tree. I really, I can't get it in my head. I want to know. They don't want, no, Australia have actions, sort of. But the prestige doesn't have that. It doesn't have that middle ground of someone who's trying to figure it out. It has those two just bitterly rivaling each other. And I kind of think that works 
sometimes a little bit better because there is no rationale. There is only the rival. Yeah. And, and the fact that it's a movie that and it, and it, Yeah, it's what that obsession, it's what revenge, all that kind of stuff will drive you to and what you're willing to sacrifice for that, as you said, yeah. Tim, like, as this whole, you know, Robert and Alfred against each other, no matter what happens. And he gets Alfred Borden. Uh, they have like magician names and then the twin yeah. names. And I'm like, which one is which? I'm forgetting now in, in real life. Borden, Fallon and the great... Dante. Yeah, Dan, the great Dan, Danton. Danton. Um, Danton. Yeah, the great Danton. Great Danton. Yeah. He actually gets him hanged and framed for a murder and all this kind of stuff. Mm. And then the twin shows up and he's like, oh, ah, yeah. there's the reveal of the twin. And then, mm. then, as you said, Tim, they then go on and do the other twist as well. And it all ties into the central theme of the thing. I think if, if, if it had done that and just been like, oh, he's been cloned and now, you know, <laughs> The Great Danton is arrested, and and he has an alternate personality. He's like a like a wealthy lord or something as well, and that's a whole other twist. Mm. And it's like a class thing about it. it's this working class guy is outdoing this rich yes. lord magician. Yeah. It's like, well, I have all the resources, I have all the money, I have all the power. Who is this this twerp, this <laughs> this peasant outdoing me and doing better tricks than I am and all this kind of stuff? And the lengths he will go to to show that he is better than him push him to the point of murder and suicide. And then the, of the, the last thing you see is the burning theatre. Oh, and dozens of fucking corpses. And you're like, he's, he's to kill a lot of people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and even with like the, the, the side characters, you've got the, the, the two women who are the love interests for both Bale brothers. Yeah. <laughs> you've got... Um, uh, Rebecca Hall and Scarlett Johansson's characters like, for life me yeah. can't remember their names but those two one of them is Hugh Jackman's the, the Great Danton's assistant and then that plays another level of rivalry but that's only the one twin that is actually in love with her but he thinks it's only one person so he goes out and kills the other one and oh there's so many layers yeah. it's so good it's so, it's so mm. the twists mm. work perfectly and intertwine and interchange with the theme and the plot in the right ways in the exact opposite way that the now you see me thing is like ta-da magic and cult <laughs> see you later bye like wait what yeah. there's Peace a out. cult of actual <laughs> magicians like is this lovecrafty and magic now with the eye and this like weird palm tattoo thing what the fuck is this? i think it's because there is a difference in tone for the ending the ending is like all these street magicians go wait magic's real way let's get on it rather than mm-hmm. i'm sorry what <laughs> whereas the michael kane character is like no this is actually Real magic. You must burn this thing. It's not a thing. It's a thing of... The scientists have done what magicians claim to do. Real magic. It's like, yeah, if, if a real magician was confronted by something, for lack of a better word, really magical, they would go, fuck off. Because if it's like, I can't see how you did that. Oh, how did you actually... How did you do that? It's the pen and teller. Okay, I, I can't figure out how you did it. Well done. How did you do yeah. it? And they say, I have magical properties. You wouldn't get a, oh, cool, can you teach me? <laughs> yeah, someone just peels his face off and it's like a skull underneath it's on fire it, and you're like, oh in no, that, the devil In that video you, we mentioned earlier, the, the pen from Penn and Teller breaks down magic yes. in, on screen and stuff. He talks about the twin teleportation trick. Mm. And he says, oh, yeah, he there is no way you can do that physically, so it has to be a twin. Yeah. You do the Occam's razor thing of, well, he's not teleporting him, so 
because that doesn't exist. So the only explanation is a double, yeah. whether it's some guy in a mask mm. or a twin or whatever it is, that must be the explanation. And this film goes, fuck you. <laughs> no, it's not. And, and <laughs> We're going to break the rules. It is, and it is. It back to there's, there's no way, there's no involuntary sound with magic. There's a bit in that film where, um, where Hugh Jackman is... Where you showered ooh magic in the cinema? <laughs> <laughs> where Hugh Jackman is like, the trick... The trick with the the uh, Borden's trick with teleporting, the the transport transported mm. man I think they call it. Um, yes. Yep. Yes. Transport man is so good that the crowd doesn't really appreciate what they're seeing because it's done it's done so quickly yes. it's done without a lot of flair, which is like the difference between the two. Where one is where Borden is like the, the, yes, the engineer yes. who can make these tricks, but he doesn't know how to present them in the best way. The, the craft will be enough to yeah. sell it to the people, and it's like no, that's not yeah. what the people. Yeah. The yeah. trick is so good. That people don't realise how amazing it is. Whereas, as uh, when when Hugh Jackman goes to see it and see uh, and sees it as a professional, he's like, "Well, I can't think of any way to do that," and so it's the best trick. Yeah, in the it's world. the fool us mentality again, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's 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 the classic mindset of it, that's a great Hugh Jackman moment in terms of a performance. He just says, "So how was it?" It's the single greatest magic yeah. I've ever seen, and he's he's genuinely and he's stunned. not and he clapping, he's out. not cheering. It's just that, that no, quiet realization. Yeah, yeah. I would say it's the same as when you go through an art gallery and you just go very innocently. That's a nice painting, and then somebody tells you as you come back and say, "Do you realize just let's before we move the, on this painting? Lisa. <laughs> this yeah, so this painting took like three years to paint. Oh really? Oh, okay. Mm. The person who painted it has no limbs. They're a paraplegic. What? It's all painted with, you know, in, you know, paintbrush in your mouth. It's like, fuck, but it's huge. It's like, I know. It's, it's literally a 10 foot by 10 foot painting. It's like, yeah, I know. Take a second to appreciate what you're seeing here. This is important. You Read need to understand plaque, what this is. you pleb. <laughs> yeah. It's like, why, why did you tell me you just walked past this? Well, can I, I, I didn't, I, and that's the classic thing. It's like, un, unless you know what you're seeing and it's mm. been presented properly. You can just go, that's nice, there's a, and then move on. There's a great on. XKCD cartoon where he's like uh, talking about how you can have problems in computing <coughs> where the problems to, to a layman sound extremely similar, and yet like the solutions are vastly different, where it's like, oh, like I want a thing on my... Uh, to, I want you to make this thing for this app where if it takes a photo in a national park, like it tells you, and then it pings it to everyone else who's ever been to that national park. It's like, okay, yeah, that's easy enough. We can do that. That's, uh, you know, that'll take me, you know, a two or three days of coding at the most. And also I, I want it to be able to sure. tell if you take a photo, if it's got a bird in it, like I'll need 12 years and a hundred million dollars to do that. It's like, <laughs> wait, but what's the, like, why is one so hard and one is so difficult? It's like, yeah. because you just don't understand. Like some things are really easy and some things There's, are really yeah. fucking hard. <laughs> yeah. And before we move on from the prestige, Shout out to David Bowie's Nikola Tesla. Yes. Because yeah. that, is an, that is an all-time... I had no idea he was in the film, and it, it's portrayed the way he's not on any of the posters or anything. And there was like a... Is that... Is that David Bowie? That's David fucking Bowie! He comes walking in what? through the arcing electricity. Through the oh, yes, yeah. exactly, exactly, oh, what yeah. What a fucking... It's like, how do we cast this person? I know, get a wizard. <laughs> get a wizard. Yeah, there is David Bowie. Literal magic personified. <laughs> and when Nolan like came up with the like putting him into the film, it's obviously based on a book, but put put him in the yes. film. He was like, oh, I'd really like David Bowie. I'll, I'll get my people to contact his people. And Bowie was like, Nah, no, nah, I'm good. I'm not really interested in being in films at the moment. 
And Christopher Nolan apparently showed up at like his hotel room and was like, Hi, David, I'm Christopher Nolan. You might remember me from such films as The Batmans. I'm a big deal. I'm a big Thanks, deal. Nolan. Would you mind being in my movie, please? He's like, uh, yeah. Actually, at this point, we should point out, he's just Batman done Batman Begins. It's the year Begins. after Batman he's Begins. He's done one Batman. Yeah. He's not that big yet. Yeah. I've just done Batman Begins. Can you, can you be in my movie? He's like, what's the movie about? He's like, well, I'd like you to play Nikola Tesla. And apparently convinced him in like 90 seconds. <laughs> like, well, I'm going to be Nikola that's, Tesla. It's got Christian cool. Bale, who's just been Batman. It's got Hugh Jackman. By the way, he's Wolverine. It's Batman versus Wolverine, <laughs> but with magic. And I want you to be Nikola Tesla, who invents a teleportation machine that clones people. I want you to be the source of all that magic. <laughs> and I'd be like, mm. yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, sounds good. <laughs> See, I, I always feel that the conversations in the room where people aren't is one of the most interesting things. Because did he do the, it's, you know, Wolverine versus Batman? Or did he just say, okay, picture it. There's, there's a man who creates this thing realizes it is not for man but to be destroyed harnessed if you will and it's like oh i love it it's so fucking tangent you know, knowing weird. christopher nolan the second option yeah there is not a single <laughs> chance in hell he went so i've got batman and wolverine right and 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 batman batman's got a twin so it's like do you know who would have fucking he's said got that like, though Zack Snyder. yes <laughs> that's how Zack zach snyder describes the prestige <laughs> as batman Martha. versus wolverine Christopher Nolan is like, so I need a character to personify magic, both in reality, on stage, and in a, in a very Arthur C. Clarke, technology is magic if you don't understand it kind of way. You know what I, I mean? I want an ethereal an presence. An ethereal, can you, like, can bring me non-corporeal presence from, from a legend of, of stage and screen. Or, you, you know, you could like, it's like Batman versus Wolverine and they're like, they hate each other and one of them kills the other dude. Oh. And there's loads of, oh, it's like lightning and shit. There's so much electricity. I fucking love electricity, man. It's so good. I don't know why he's Tom McFarlane. Can you Zack no. Snyder went to David Bowie and said, I want you to play Commissioner Gordon, <laughs> but you have to get hench. Get in the gym, you thin duke. I want you to be buff. And he's in it for the same amount of time. Oh my God. Poor J.K. Simmons, who got fucking jacked. For eight, eight oh, seconds don't. of screen time. I mean, I think he's getting on a bit, and he was like, "Fuck it, I'm just going." No, and okay, anyway, okay. we'll we'll find out in the Snyder cut when fucking oh, no. Commissioner Gordon shows up and when he flips the car. fucking dark side. He just rips off his sleeves. <laughs> and he's <just> like, <laughs> I gotta get me one of those. <laughs> That's my. So I remember seeing that photo and not recognizing mm. J.K. Simmons. No, not like, at all. Why is Santa so ripped? This is mental. I've never seen J.K. Simmons with a giant beard like that before, and I was like, "Wait, is that? Oh my god! It's like it's like it's like Ethan Suplee at the minute. Yes, he's, he's yeah, he's he's ripped, as huge fuck. as in ripped. That's not... the magic trick, ladies and gentlemen. Going to the gym. <laughs> Tell me about it. Same thing. Go in isolation so you can get there and pull off your top and go. Ur, ur, how did you do it? Ur, I kept lifting these and weights, and then you put your t-shirt on and go away. Jumps out your tricep. Knew it. Fucking knew it. Actually, no, that's the difference. That's the difference, isn't it? I suppose if you're at the gym, it's hard work. If it's a magic trick, it's illusion. Exactly. Jack is flexing for us. <laughs> Trying to get a rabbit out of my bicep, but it didn't work. Anyway, back round to you, Matthew. And for something completely different. Well, weirdly enough, we're going to bring up the Holy Grail. We're going to talk about witches. So coming up with uh, these choices was actually really difficult. Because I think at this point, I feel like Jack might have picked the prestige. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, shit. That's the first thing I wrote down was that prestige. Yeah. 
no. I was convinced I didn't want to do something about films I hated. I wanted to go films, all the things that annoyed me. I wanted to do things I liked. So Huckabass took a while to come up with. And then coming up with supernatural magic, as it were, was equally very tricky for me. There, and it wasn't because of bitterness, as some may think. It was up to just the fact of saturation of choice. It was just too much. Just too much stuff. You go, fuck. And, and as you guys have pointed out, and as we all point out on sequelizers many times over, it comes down to the law. It comes down to the, the rules that are established. And it's like, I, I like it in this film, but then they fuck it by the last act and it doesn't make any sense anymore. That kind of thing. How does this work? How does it work? Does it work? And so for me, I want to talk about the 1996 film, Craft, which great film is getting a remake, sequel, yeah. reboot thing. Yeah, last the, the year soft that reboot may have been released. I don't sequel know thing. Not. Yeah, the craft. I haven't seen it. I didn't see legacy. It. I was, I, I'm because sure, of course, it's called. I would legacy. like it to be good. Yeah, I'd like to have been good. I don't think it was. But then equally, the craft wasn't very well received at the time either, which is bullshit. I watched the craft most years because I have a little thing where I watch like a lot of Halloween films around Halloween to a spooky sort of stuff, my little film festival. And my wife and I alternate picking things and we have guest friends over and things. And every year we watch the fucking thing without fail and The Shining. There are certain ones that are top tier that, that keep coming because we enjoy watching them because for nostalgia purposes or otherwise or whatever it needs to be. My wife will always pick the craft. She will always be on the craft. She, she's, you know, born 1985, the perfect age when this came out to be into the, you know, sexy cool magic girls but it's also really scary and dark and you know what so was i <laughs> not a sexy cool magic girl but i was into this film so it's it's uh robin tunney bruce bork nev campbell and rachel true and they are just high school kids and unlike most high school kids sort of stuff at the time coming out the late 80s early 90s where it's you know ed edging away from the john hughes wisecracking teens kind of thing you do get into this whole like things are pretty fucked up for kids and you start getting very extreme examples you know like cruel intentions and stuff where it's like oh no they're all taking drugs and stuff and it gets very much into the early 2000s skins that's what kids are really like it's like well, hang on hang on you're going a bit too extreme <laughs> now. but i find it fascinating as a, as a film for the way it sets up its 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 rules so the movie itself is actually about these three friends who are outside weirdo loners and they're looking for a fourth because they have various books on wicker and magic and all these sorts of bits and pieces and they very much identify to it and it's been a bit of a sort of safety net for them so they've leaned into the schools turned on them and they fucking lean into it fuck it you know it's 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 the timon and pumba the world turns it back it's back on you you turn your back on the world kind of thing and they want to possess magic powers and he's like, oh, well, why do they want to do it? Is it, is it, is it, is it vanity? He's like, uh, well, let's analyze what they actually want. The person of color of the group doesn't want to be called a race, uh, doesn't want to suffer racial abuse anymore. The girl with scars all over her body who has to go for experimental surgery doesn't want to have to have scars anymore so she can actually just, you know, feel, in her words, beautiful inside and out. The girl who is, ident well, not identifies, but is, is seen as white trash doesn't want to be poor and that shit anymore. She doesn't want to suffer anymore. And the other girl, the new girl, the one that's come in, which is played by Robin Tunney as Sarah, she has a specific vendetta against a character who, played by Skeet Ulrich, oddly enough, who did that classic bullshit in school where she turned down sex so he spread rumors about her in school. 
but she wants him to actually you know love him and that goes really dark and all of them go really dark really quickly and the thing i find fascinating about this particular film is the magic and the cgi is subtle and it's very mm. clever this is like late 90s cgi mid mid 90s sorry mid 90s cgi done like jurassic park where it's subtle enough that something's happening but you don't and, and blend the big over the top stuff as well is the key entirely yeah. and it's fucking great and everything about the movie is like um, and it, it es- everything escalates. So what you wish for, you don't know the consequences of it. You can't handle that power or control. And the magic is real. They tap into this whatever it is, this source, and none By of real it control it. Except- supernatural. <laughs> I apologize. Real supernatural. But yes. Yeah, so, so, but they but they they cast the spell and it goes to shit. So Nev Campbell's character Barney becomes incredibly vain. Rochelle, who has tried to just stop her bully from bullying her, ends up having the bully go through this horrible process of losing all her hair and stuff like that. And it, it, she gets just incredibly, no, very few victims want the bully to suffer in the same way. They just want the bullying to stop. And that's, that's a tragically beautiful thing on screen there. Farisa Bork, however, goes insane with power with the whole thing. And she becomes very abusive and very aggressive and goes off the chain crazy, but suffers and her own tragedies. Essentially rapes Skeet or tries to sexually assault and rape Skeet Ulrich's character. Exactly, um, as a sort of friendly revenge, but also kill, kills reasons. him. Does she kill him? Throw him out of a window or she something? Does kill him, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And and Robin Tunney's the only character who sort of retracts it all, but it turns out she's actually, you know, a kind-hearted individual, and actually has has. And the, it seems to be that the magic has always descended from her. These kids always wanted to be involved in it, but ultimately it was always her and her lineage. She's a special one, but it's 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 a it's it's brilliant for me because. The the magic has rules. The rules are clear, and if they repeat, if you know anything you cast out is returned upon you, sort of fourfold or whatever it is. Very simple. You do this stuff to better the world and better others around you. you don't do it for self gain and that kind of stuff. And it's the nature of you know, like any power, whether it's uh, fucking electricity or politics or anything. It's the idea that you 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 do it very carefully and not like an. But then these are kids who want simple things. And yeah, so I, I find it, but it's, it's just a coming of age film with magic stuff and it's fucking great. Very 90s. Um, yeah, I, cool. I'm really glad that you, you picked the craft because I think something that we haven't really touched on is, is gender in magic, both, mm. both, oh, ter- yes. in both yes, yes. definitions that we've used because I think performance magic is very male dominated. And I think they would have the glamorous assistant, and that would be the, the woman's place it, in that exactly. role, right? Like, yeah, who is doing the actual? Yeah, <laughs> yeah who's always the, the one box. that's actually yeah. doing loads of crazy shit? Yeah, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. and yep. I think that ties back into the idea of like magic is quite a uh, an obsessive isolationist thing, and that boys are allowed to you know get into that when they're kids, and 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 uh, you know men are allowed to ha- have that kind of drive and obsession and it's not as encouraged in girls who are like no you've got to go play with your friends you can't just be sat up in your room you mm. know reading books on coin tricks over and over and over again and there's from the supernatural side of things there's kind of how we think of you know the classic divide between like witches and wizards where a male wizard is kind of this mm. like oh it's like a learned thing and he's you know an advisor to kings whereas like female magic is is seen as more kind of perhaps uh like natural and du- trickstery and yeah or like evil. like yeah. it can be like conniving or it can be like yeah much more earth mother 
like oh no it's it's all to do with the life cycle and the moon mm. and all that kind of stuff and there there are those in, in terms of like the archetypes um there are these quite harsh divides and I, I, it's interesting to explore those and break those down because you know the the magic that we see in the craft is very much you know it's it's kind of framed in the traditional witchcraft sense it's a lot of like curses being put on people and stuff like that um and also the kind of like devil worship element of it um which we haven't really tapped into like the crossover mm. between magic and religion is you know is a, is a fascinating one yeah. so yeah i think i think films that interrogate that difference and like how we we view magic when it comes from women versus magic when it comes from men is 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 a pretty interesting mm. um one and and the craft kind of i think does that to a bit yeah. you know there's 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 a a kind of uh a small number of films from around that period, I think like Ginger Snaps is a nice comparison to the craft where it's like, <laughs> yes, there's yes. almost like nothing more terrifying <laughs> to a certain type of person than a teenage girl with powers, um, mm. you yeah. know, and you can go, yes. go to something like Carrie even with that. Uh, and oh, um, yeah. yeah, I think, I think it's a really fascinating fertile area for, for films and for fiction. And it's, it's the also, I mean, we, we haven't touched upon this much at all, but Tim's tied right with the gender thing. Because it's also the idea that a group of wizards is just, there's no real thing, but a coven of mm. witches is an organization of women yeah. doing things. And it's like, you don't want the women organized and, I, and thinking for themselves, talking yeah. to each other, passing the Bechdel test. How dare they? <laughs> empowered, sexually empowered and unhappy with the world around them and wanting to change it as they see fit. That sounds like witchcraft to me. Yeah. And I, I remember as a kid, so I remember I started in like 96, 97. Um, so I would have been, yeah, literally like 13 at the time. And I remember identifying more with something like the craft than I did fucking American pie. And it's like this, yeah. yeah hey, you teenage boy, this is you. It's like, no, I, I kind of think I'm one of these you guys. You want to have sex with your best friend's mum? Bullying to stop. No, no, not really. No, no, no. I don't think I've ever had a friend's mum. You have mom a penis in a pie, Matthew? Film quality. No, no. I have a penis in most things as, you know, a teenage boy. <laughs> you have ever been a bit no, gothy and ostracised? any more fruit sex-based yeah. discussion today. <laughs> Amsterdam! <laughs> but no, so, um, yeah, The Craft is Magnificent. I recommend it still to this day. I think, I, when they said about the whole, uh, about the whole, there's a remake such reboot, I was like, not, just, just watch the original? I don't see... I mean, I get you could do a few things more, but it's, in terms of what I am Again, I haven't seen it. I don't know, but... I don't know how you can... And the thing is that this film, I should point out, I'm pretty sure has it 50 or 60% of Rotten Tomatoes. It's not well received. That's a hell of a segue, Matthew, because I'm bringing back our regular segment of Rotten Tomatoes <laughs> to the inter-season. Oh, because I have both The Craft and The Craft Legacy and their scores. Oh, so... Okay. In a little twist of the interseason formula, fuck, you've pulled a little I pulled a Tim <laughs> and come out with a secret little sneaky formula. Matthew. Yes, 58 I've... reviews in total. Okay. Out of 58 reviews, what do you think the tomatometer score is for the 1996 of The Craft? So as I said, I don't know the exact number, but I think it's around 50-60, so I'm going to say I'm going to be optimistic and say 63%. Okay. Tim, I'm going to be for the original The Craft. pessimistic and say 45%. Even though I, I, I really like The Craft. But... I'd say it's a high 80s for me. I really like it a lot. And now over to 
108 reviews. There are somehow more reviews because of the modern era and all that yeah, stuff, obviously. Of course. Yeah, 108 reviews for the 2020 The Craft Legacy. Guesses for the Tomatometer score, Mr. Stogden. That's really difficult. I Again, I haven't seen it, so I genuinely can't comment. I'm purely speculating. Finally, point. we found a film Matt <laughs> hasn't seen. There's, there's, there's tons I haven't seen. You just don't know about them. You've just never heard of them. And also, let's face it, it was 2020. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of opportunities yeah. films. Hey, you're um, one of the few people I know who went to the cinema that's once true. the pandemic kicked off and we were allowed back in to cinemas. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, for like two I'll, weeks. I'll be back in the cinema again when I'm allowed to. I think it's tricky. I think it will probably be perfectly fine. If it was released on its own with a different name and a different time period, it'd be like, yeah, pretty good. But because you've got the weight of nostalgia behind it, I think it's going to be rated harsher than the other one. So... Go with Tim's number. Did you say 45 a minute ago, Tim? That. Tim, how about See, I was going to say, I, I reckon movie. exactly the same, so... <laughs> oh, shit! Let's, uh... Yeah, let's, let's drop down to, say, 38%. Matt has got a clean sweep, but only just. Oh, shit. And you are both along okay. the right lines, especially you, Tim, where they're both very, very close. Mm. The original 1996 is 55%. With the 2020 soft reboot slash sequel at 49%. And the audience score makes a hell of a lot more sense because the audience score is 65 for the original and 29 for the 2020 version. Which says, I think probably says a lot more than the critical thing because mm. when The Craft came out in the 90s, it was not critically well received but became a cult classic through home video and stuff yes. like that. Yes. Which is typical for like... Like unusual genre films of that era. That's classic. It's got four lead women <laughs> in it. It's got women in it. It's got magic in it. It's not your typical. They're they're gothy like kids mm -hmm. rather than your typical like you said American Pie teen. Oh, they're yeah, all yeah. secretly kind of handsome and all that kind of. Breckin Meyer is in this movie. <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> he's yeah. like he's like yeah, but yeah, yeah. I thought that was that was a bit interesting for you. Basically the it same is. school. Thank you. I'm glad you brought that up. Weird. Though. Yeah, very weird. So I, I recommend that movie, obviously. I think everyone should go see it. It's good. And if you don't like it, fuck it. I, I didn't see it until Emma introduced it to me. Because we have... You've got a... We have the... Oh, yeah, you? we have... It's... Uh, oh, God, what is it? It's the, it's the craft. So they're like um, silhouettes of famous witch films. Oh, it's the, cool. In three, in yes. three frames in like a little triangle. It's the, 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 the cover of the craft. You know, the one where they're all in their yeah. uniforms and like walking, walking. towards camera. Mm. There's... Hocus Pocus is the other one. The the other one I recognise, and then there's the one I always forget, which is the witches of Eastwick. Eastwick is it Eastwick? Yeah, yeah the witches of Eastwick. And yeah. Emma has got them as like art prints from one of her favourite artists on our in our hallway. That's that's a strong late nineties, yeah. uh, late eighties, early nineties film right there. So Emma's a couple of years older than me and was a goth yeah, kid. So she was yeah. an emo goth kid. So it totally makes sense. She dyed her hair black had like the double lip piercings <laughs> and the full, mm -hmm. the classic kind of, uh, yeah, yeah, look. So that makes, a, it's on brand for her as a teenager. So that totally yeah. makes sense. Yeah. So, craft aside, Tim, are you going to bring us something that we probably were going, there are a lot of people who've been sitting here thinking, guys, there's a big magical property in cinema you haven't talked about. I think about we yet. literally haven't mentioned it yet, yeah. have we? We've um, avoided two words. Mitchell and Webb's The Magicians? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, that remake of Hockerbass. We're about to. <laughs> uh, Tim, what would you yes. like to? So again, I've I've picked a particular moment rather than a whole film. 
Oh, yeah, franchise. whole franchise. Uh, we're going to talk about Harry Potter. There we go. The moment you've been waiting for, dear listeners. And more, more specifically, the, the moment that I've picked is the battle between Dumbledore and Voldemort in Order of the Phoenix. Mm. Um, now, I... Meh film, great I scene. don't like the Harry Potter system of magic, particularly. It's a, it, I agree it's a with pretty you. soft one. And there's Very a lot soft. of arbitrary rules in it and yes. a lot of stuff Agreed. that would break <laughs> the world uh, quite considerably. My, my main complaint, it's not that it's a soft system, but that it has some rules that are not consistent yes. in the universe. And like, no, yep. only really powerful wizards can do magic without a wand, and then a bunch of magicians do magic without a yeah. wand. And like, Oh yeah, wizards only get involved in this thing because of this reason. Like, you can kill people in like two seconds. You could wipe people's memories. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. we talked about this in our Fantastic Beasts episode where Matt did redid his uh, the Hogwarts trilogy Mm -hmm. because the Fantastic Beast stuff is even worse because it's it's adults doing magic, and it's like oh, we'll just rewrite the entire history of London for the last like forty eight hours in World War One. Wait, what? And there were oh, there's a wizarding war parallel <laughs> to World War One. That's not World War One, but it's kind of World War One. It had dragons in it, but nobody remembers. Yeah. Like, wait, what the fuck are you talking about? It's just a yep. bunch of bullshit. And it's my main complaint about the Harry Potter series, apart from J.K. Rowling. We're not going to talk about J.K. Yeah. Rowling. Fuck J.K. Rowling. But that the inconsistency bugs me so much, and it is definitely something yeah. I will be talking about in my next pick and final pick as yeah. well. Yeah. I think um, it's, like you say, there's, there's so much inconsistency. It really has the feeling of when, because the films, the films are pretty accurate in terms of their representation. They don't change it considerably from what the books are. So the flaws come from no. the books. And the books Agreed. feel yeah. like yeah, yeah. it was very much just made up as it, as it went along. Like and the the rules. It's a kids' book. It doesn't matter. Yeah, the rules that were put. Fuck you it. know, they'll get to book three or four or whatever, and and be like, oh, I should put that in as a rule. That's that's clever. And it's like, yeah, but you've just spent three books not obeying that rule, and then you're gonna and you're yeah. also gonna forget that you've done this, and in two books' time, you're gonna have someone break it, even though you said like, oh, this is a fundamental rule of magic kind of thing, and stuff like, um, like in book seven uh, slash the seventh and eighth films, where like, oh, the the idea of like, oh, if you if you disarm someone, their wand becomes like yours and so it won't work for them as well. It's like, yeah, but you've like go back to the second book and you've got these kids like having dueling practice, like you're just like ruining their wands <laughs> for the rest of like eternity. Um So do yeah. they do they duel with each other? Do they do an expelliarmus and then have to like surrender it back to their opponent afterwards in some weird ritual or something? Like British, that must be yeah. And then you have to start writing the canon around the bullshit rules that are invented in later Mm, books. We're like, okay. But also, Harry doesn't disarm Malfoy. He just snatches it out of his hand. Does (laughs) that count as well, then? If that's not the definition of disarming, Matthew, I don't know what it is. Yes, that's that's my apology. He took his weapon away from him. And and stuff like, you know, like, oh, like, it's really powerful magic if you don't say anything while you're doing it. And yet you've had that happening throughout the books and the films like earlier on and stuff there's there's so many inconsistencies you could tell that it was cobbled together after the fact to try and make a coherent system because uh, and and like i touched on earlier like with soft magic it's not necessarily that there is not one right way to be 
like in terms of like hardness versus softness of magic. But when you have your protagonists being uh, all magic users at the center of your story, and you're dealing with it over quite a long period of time, I think yeah. if you don't have an idea. You you can have a soft magic system, but you have to know that at the start and be willing to accept that. And if you start bringing in rules later, it becomes a real problem. Or alternatively, you, if you want a hard magic system, that's fine. You just have to know what the rules are at the start and remain consistent in those. And the and you can have the rules be broken, but that that means that that moment has to be significant. It can't just be like, oh, we broke it, and now like either either then magic as you know it has changed or that breaking of it has to be like, oh shit, that person can do that thing that marks them out as extraordinary, even amongst a, a magical to clarify, world. To, to put it in a little minor bit of context for reality here, and it's going to sound like a very strange comparison. The king of England wanted a divorce. And because of that, the last 500 years of English history have been fucking mental. <laughs> I can't he invented a enough. church. An entire yeah, and branch of Christianity of because yeah. he wanted a divorce. I mean, and, and women, so am I right, guys? <laughs> separation of, of all this sort of stuff and, and Britain, England, Europe, and all this sort of things. Uh, uh, so much of our history stems from like this one very seemingly innocuous minor thing by one important individual. So as Tim says, you can go against the rules you've set, but it has to be a big impact. Yeah. Something big has to if, happen. If you had that moment where, like, I don't know, previously, whenever so-and-so battled so-and-so, and the one was disarmed, they own it, and then something else happened, and Harry did something that was unusual, and he, like, mm. put a spin on it or whatever, and that's how he got possession of the, you know, the, the Mega Wand, or whatever mm. the fuck it's the Elder Wand. El Elder Wand. Mega Wand. I'm going to go with Mega Wand. Um, <laughs> Then that would be clever and interesting. Like, yeah, he just grabs it out of his hand. Why doesn't everyone do that all the time? Yeah. Wouldn't every like fifteen-year-old wizard steal everyone else's thing and then just huck it in a fucking lake and be like, "Sorry, mate, <laughs> you can't cast spells you think anymore." The most powerful spell would be the disarming spell, not the murder yeah. spell. Yeah, because it's like, and so I, I, I just say a word, and suddenly your gun doesn't work. I think anymore. I'm about to blow your minds here. Oh shit! Are there midichlorians in Harry Potter? <laughs> Because there's muggles wow. who are not magical, and then arbitrarily, some people were just like, "Yeah, I can do magic, mate." And some people are like really powerful at magic, so they must have a high. Like Voldemort is just really powerful because it's the reasons. Yeah, he's he he's got high M count, as they call it in Star Wars. Now. I mean, it's it's we don't say that word. It's sort of hereditary because people who are magical tend to have magical like children. the force yes but there's... as established in the classic <laughs> rise of skywalker thank you but it can also spontaneously kind of mutate for want of a better word like there are people who don't have magical uh, parents like hermione's parents are both dentists i think in the book like have no idea about magic and you also have people who are the children of magical uh, of witches and wizards who have no magical abilities but that's yes. quite rare so who the fuck knows? Like again, it's the, the it, it it has been written to kind of to serve the moment rather than to serve the universe. Oh, entirely. entirely. But the, the, to to bring it back to the thing that I want. Sorry, to... Sorry, yes, we're not talking about the whole series. We specifically yeah. said we're not talking about the whole series <laughs> and spent the last ten minutes going. Harry yeah. So the mm. duel between Voldemort and Dumbledore in the Ministry of Magic, mm. I think, is so. 
J.K. Rowling's writing has strengths and weaknesses. I don't think she's very good at action scenes. And the the Order of the Phoenix no. is probably my least favorite book, but one of my favorite of the films because it does such mm. a good job mm. in trimming out all the fat in the book. I think it's in terms of an adaptation, <laughs> fair, it's it's clever because it there's so much it has to dump basically to get a, a good story out yeah. of it. And the action scene as it's written in the book is really hard to follow there's a load of weird stuff that goes on in the mis- in the ministry <laughs> of magic and like floating brains that attack people and stuff like that oh it's very yeah, yeah. Weird. and what like when it gets to the fight between you know. the the Dumbledore's army the kids kind of uh from from hogwarts versus the the death eaters it's mo- it she like describes it as just like it's basically like lasers flying back and forth and it's like really that's a bit oh. like you you can like magic in in harry potter like has had so many interesting like different like oh there's transmutation where we like turn this shit into another thing and and all this stuff and when you get down to it like when you're in a fight it's just just pew pew it's like going to laser quest or something yeah and i think that initially the fight that they have in the order of the phoenix that that is that same scene is is interesting because it does it visualizes it a little bit different again they mostly are just using like stun and shield spells i think in that moment but at least it it with the the action direction it's a little bit more compelling than than the 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 written description but then when you get to voldemort and dumbledore initially they have the the kind of the standoff where their two wands connects and you've got that cool like drippy liquid lightning magic effect between the two yeah it's the it's the anime battle it's the dragon ball z (laughs) energy balloons hitting each other yeah but then they actually do some creative shit with it you yes. have you have mm-hmm. uh, Voldemort creating this giant fiery snake, and then you have Dumbledore getting rid of that, and then encasing Voldemort in a ball, big ball of water, and then you have like they they oh yeah the swirly the water swirly ball water thing ball. is really cool. They have, yeah. You have uh, yeah. this weird like shadow suction effect that Voldemort does, and then you have him shattering all the glass and <coughs> and like telekinetically hurling it at Harry and Dumbledore, mm. and then Dumbledore turns it all into sand. Yeah, and that to me is is. Like that's a good wizard battle because it's it's not it's yes, not just yes. let's point our wands at each other and yell real loud like that. It starts off as that, and 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 essentially that's what the final Harry Potter like the Harry versus Voldemort. I was going to say yeah, basically that. But it shows creativity. It shows them try actually trying to outthink the other. Okay, like we can't because we're so evenly matched. We can't just like zap each other to death because the other person could match me in that. So okay, so I'm going to animate this thing mm. so that there's a separate something that they have to focus on and then maybe then I could do something like it shows chess yeah it's it's a it's more of a battle of wits and strategic of battle countering, yeah. you know it's it's quite mm-hmm. interesting, you know oh Voldemort does fire so Dumbledore does water you know and it just pokemon yeah it's <laughs> like pokemon tactics like obviously it's it's almost like rock paper scissors you know well I'm doing this so they you know my my lightning beats your water ah but my water drowns his fire but my fire evaporates your lightning i don't know um yeah yeah but that is a little that at least that's a step up from just like well i i tried to shoot a thing at him and he blocked it then he tried to shoot a thing at me back and i blocked it and then we just kept going until one of us failed to block and then then he then yeah. fell over with the with the like you said the drippy like plasma beams <laughs> or whatever the fuck they are <laughs> they do cast specific spells to do that right it is Avada Kedavra versus Expelliarmus, isn't it? I think I can't because yes. it, well, it goes Potter, <laughs> when, when Harry Potter does it at the end in the eighth yeah. film. Yes, mm. 
But, when... but they're not always big drippy plasma beams. So only when they clash well, do they become big drippy plasma that, beams? That particular effect of the, the drippy plasma beam was originally in Goblet of Fire, and it's meant mm. to represent because both... Fuck, we're getting into the fucking lore Lord. now. Both Voldemort and Harry's wands have feathers from the same A phoenix. Bond. Yes. And so it's yeah. like this rare special effect that, oh, because their wands are the same, they they cause a reaction against each other and like when yeah, they both when they both try and cast a spell at each at exactly the same time they like meet in the middle and do this weird i think it's called prior incantatum or something like that so really technically unless unless dumbledore has that exact same as one as well feather. it shouldn't do that <laughs> but it is it's a cool special effect so i'll kind of give them that it's really cool i would also add that there is an interesting point to the fight First of all, it's presented great. The CGI is good and the sound design is great because there's no music. Mm. Mm, it's a yes. bit weird to start with because I've seen a version where there are people who've done... Um, Realistic sound effects. Yeah. And- <laughs> it's like... It's like, what the fuck is this? But yeah. I still think it makes it a bit of a, just an interesting and different experience. I think that's the most standout moment of that movie, which I think is a little bit bland, if I'm honest. But Agreed. I don't know the books, so I can't... Appreciate how much has been stripped down. Having said that, the reason, obviously, Voldemort's still trying to kill Harry Potter. That's do a lot. Voldemort's just, no, sorry, Dumbledore's killing time. Mm. He, is, yes. he is not actually trying to kill her or. or he's blocking and deflecting. He's deflecting and, blocking yeah, yeah. Until the people from the ministry come in and say, oh, he's back. It's true. It's like, Right, fine. Now you finally fucking seen it, right? Yeah. Now we know. There's a guy with no nose over there. Look yeah. at him. Yeah. What a weirdo. Look, just up the fucking flume just now. Yeah. But the yes. So I think it's 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 the fact that not only is it a, a battle of countering, as Tim has said, but it's also one where it's like, God, it'd be so much if I could just fucking kill him. Yeah. But I've got a plan here. Well, I say got a plan. You know, the problem with all hand, but in that in that moment, in that one fight, very cleverly done. And I agree with you, Tim. And also the fact that because of all the like black tile work, it looks very cool. Yes, the production design of, yeah. of those films is always great, and and I think yeah, they exactly. do an excellent point uh, job of of visualising it. Yeah. Speaking of the CGI, I know I mention them all the time. Corridor Crew just did a breakdown of that very scene. Really? Uh, at the time of release, they released it a couple of days ago. Oh. So uh, yeah, you can go there and check out. Go. Corridor Crew Harry Potter and you'll find that pretty quickly. Cool. It is very interesting how they blend like real water with the water effects mm-hmm. and the whole mm-hmm. plasma drippy thing is a, is a particular like rendering software that they use and they go into the whole thing about how they made it look so cool and work cool. and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, recommend checking that out if you want to see a behind the scenes, not necessarily behind the scenes, but an analysis from visual effects from artists. From a technical side of things. Yeah, from a technical side of things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think that's fair. The craft involved, yes, huh? <laughs> Matthew? That's not uh, a pun. What a, that's that's a just pun. a coincidence. That, 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 my friend, is a pun. Yeah, so that's, that's uh, a, cis, uh, a, a universe whose magic I don't particularly necessarily enjoy or I find a little bit sloppy, but a moment that I do actually uh, really enjoy in terms of the magic of cinema. Mm. That's a pun, see, motherfucker. Jack, bring us home. I'm going to talk about some magic that I really do like. A system that I really do like because it is hard magic in a way, even though it gets all philosophical and weird, but <laughs> that's another thing. The, the state of alchemy and transmutation 
in Full Metal Alchemist. And as much as I'd love to talk about the anime, <laughs> well, I'm using this as an excuse to kind of talk about the anime via the live action version of that. Well, you could also, I mean, there is the Full Metal Alchemist movie. Uh, the, I mean, oh, yeah, there's the, a live yeah, action one, but there's also... There's Star of Migos and stuff as well. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. There's, it's not just a case of saying, well, hang on now, Jack, that's Ben in the rules. No, it's not, he's fine. Exactly. I'm not talking about the live action version, but if people are going to argue there is a live action version, mm. so I'm still talking about magic in film. Yes. Et cetera, et cetera. Mm, yeah. Conqueror of Shambhala. Exactly, yeah. yeah. But alchemy in that universe is so cool and so interesting to me because it is mm. essentially has two sides to it where you take material from one thing and you reshape it and reconstruct it into another thing. So say, for example, you can take uh, the, uh, some brick from the wall next to you and build like a spear and a shield out of brick so you can fight your opponent with it while they're throwing, you know, literal bricks at you using some other like you know, the opposite force and throwing it back at you, you can then fight back and, and transform actual material and resources around you and use it in creative ways. And it's the creativity that you mentioned in, the, in your fight, Tim, that I really appreciate about the fights in Full Metal where you get... Everybody does the typical thing and Edward Elric, the main character, is kind of the guy who does clever little sneaky tricks and like, hey, how did you get away with that? And... He has the advantage that he has a metal arm and a metal leg. Doesn't sound like an advantage, <laughs> but he can he can use the metal in his arm to build like a, for a better phrase, a baraka style like mm. sword arm thing and mm -hmm. fight people. Yeah. So he he basically always has a weapon on him, even if he doesn't. Yeah. He can shift his own metal in his arm to then form a blade, and he uses it in very. He will like trap people because a lot of people go for the kill, but he's quite a, like a, a young, a relatively inexperienced and like in general, very quite, quite good and tries to arrest people rather than murder them, all this kind of stuff. So while people are channeling fire and blowing people up, he's like catching them and tricking them and tying their feet together with a rope made out of the cloth from the guy he walked past in the street and all this kind of stuff. And how he balances like all the elements and twists all the different things and all the rules they set up that you have to create a transmutation circle and do a whole ritual and He's one of the few people who can do it like inertly by like placing his hands on the surface and doing this other thing. And eventually his brother learns how to do that as well. And then there's a whole like soul bonding thing where his brother, his brother is like his soul is bonded into a suit of armor. It gets really anime, I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's damn good. It's, it's one of the greatest animes of all time. Yeah, Full, Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood is one of my favorites and I think is the highest rated anime on my anime list which I is think, uh, Attack the, on the, Titan is coming for it <laughs> uh, yeah I'm sure Attack on Titan is with the latest season but it's but still it's still it's still it's considered it's one of the absolute best one of the yeah. best and also basic bitch it's <laughs> <laughs> it's like the idea of like well of course everyone's doing for my life it's not a real fan it's like yeah. fuck you it's greatest for the what's your favourite film I really like Star Wars yeah brilliant thanks yeah. mate you really contribute <laughs> there's, to there's this fucking conversation wrong with like a full metal alchemist uh, unless and, and then what Jack's saying equivalent Exchange, you will see and hear and say that so many yes. fucking times. Yeah. And it is and that's the thing about the law that Jack's going on about. It the is principle of equivalent exchange into you over and over. So when you know again through I know it's a series rather than a film, but in the film the, the same laws apply. So when you say 
oh shit, he can't do this. He can't, he can't do it because he doesn't have his, you know, X, Y, Z. He, he gets his arm blown off yeah. a couple of times or his leg chopped off where he's like, yeah. well shit, he, can't, no, he now can't use the metal to build the sword to do the thing and fight the guy or whatever. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I have seen Full Metal Alchemist held up as one of the, the, the best examples of like a hard magic system where they, they set up the rules and then it's about how you work cleverly within that that, that really mm-hmm. allows, it allows the audience to see, to, to kind of keep up with the characters. And you can have those moments where just before the character does a thing, the audience goes, oh, I know what he's going to do here. And that's such a great feeling as yep. a person watching yep. where you suddenly, it clicks into place and you go, oh, I know what he's about to do. That's so cool. Um, the other like um, anime that I've heard, you know, well, not technically anime, but um, uh, Avatar The Last Airbender is something that's held up. Oh, yeah, yeah, very yeah. Similar Channeling the elements like, and stuff. Yeah, the, the, the rules regarding like bending and... and like what the avatar can do and stuff like that are very fixed and so but there's still room for innovation like within that uh and i know the the uh i haven't read them but the uh brandon sanderson i think his name is uh mistborn books i know i'm familiar uh, yep. with them yeah. yeah he has an amazing magic system in the Mistborn. yeah series. again have these yeah. interesting like where you have these these rules that you have to fit in with and so when you find ways to bend those, it becomes really interesting and really creative and and your readers feel smart. One of the similar ones to Alchemy that sprung to mind in like recent fantasy novels and stuff is the Patrick Rothfuss books, The, uh, the Name of the Wind and The Wise Man's Fear, oh, yeah. where you have to channel heat from your body to do stuff. So if you want to like move an object, you have to generate equivalent... Because energy can be transferred in real life in mm-hmm. physics... Kinetic energy then transfers to gravitational potential energy that then transfers into heat that transfers into sound, blah, blah, blah. Energy is never destroyed. The conservation of energy and mass, the basic literal principles and laws of the universe as we understand it currently. Mm-hmm. And so, for example, if you want to pick up a car, you put your hand against that car and you might get like frostbite on one of your fingers because mm-hmm. you're channeling all of your body and your body temperature will drop unless you can suck heat from something else. So you like, <clears throat> you stand next to a, a bonfire and you can siphon the energy, the heat from that mm. and channel that into changing the gravity of the object and all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's similar to that in that kind of alchemy where they take one resource and it's, and they literally say like, like you said, the principle of equivalent exchange is the whole mm-hmm. uh, conservation of mass, conservation of energy rules that apply in our universe and our world as we, un- excuse me, our universe and our world as we understand it, then translate into their magic system to make it almost more science-based. It's almost like they're scientists rather than wizards. Yeah. And it's a really, really clever system. And me being a scientist and also a huge fan of fantasy, I love that kind of stuff where you put the little scientific twist on it. Weirdly enough, I uh, wrote and directed an award-winning film about alchemy Mm. before I watched Full Metal Alchemist. (laughs) Um, And I was like, oh, fuck's sake, this would have been so much easier if I'd just seen this beforehand. (laughs) (laughs) um but um yeah it's i find it fascinating because the nature of alchemy in this country has always been seen as ah the art of turning lead into gold no motherfuckers ever done that but the the the, the sort of faux scientific argument that no everything is matter surely you can there must be some 
way. And it's just early science that, I mean, Isaac Newton wrote a best-selling book on alchemy before he suddenly changed tack and wrote a best-selling book about the fucking laws of gravity. <laughs> and yeah. it's the, just the concept of what science is. It changes and evolves and you evolve with it. Um, the difference with magic is that, in film at least, those rules shouldn't change. But I, I just want to put a little thing out here. I feel personally that where people say, oh, it's really difficult. I wrote myself into a corner and I've said this thing and I want to go around it. So I'll just say, and then they can get around it because they've got special hands. It's like, what the fuck are you talking about? That doesn't make any sense. I see that sort of thing as a challenge. I see it as like, it's more rewarding if you can work around your own bullshit, especially if you are the one who set the rules. If you come into a world where you're like, here's Doctor Strange, you're now writing Doctor Strange. Here's fucking 60 years of content to work with. Oh, Christ. Or... Here, I've just wrote about this magical boy who goes to school. Oh, bugger, I've written something that's going to come rip me into a corner now. Well, then cleverly <laughs> write yourself out of that corner. Don't just say, ah, I was wrong. Mm. Ah, this happens. Magic, fuck yeah, it. magic, fuck it, yeah. Fuck. And as Tim said earlier, you want the audience to just, half the audience to go, oh, fuck me, of course. And they have to go, oh, shit, I think I know where this is going. Because nothing worse than going, oh, shit, I know where this is going. And then it goes something really dumb and you go, oh, that's... And then it's magic, oh, fuck it. And you're like, damn it. That's disappointing. I, I would say that like there are downsides to having very hard magic systems because I think it robs some of the, the mystery from it, and oh, it's yeah. hard to make magic feel as like uh, unknowable and and dangerous sometimes when mm. you know exactly what it can achieve. Like if you know exactly, you, you haven't seen Formal Alchemist, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of unknowable dangers because they're channeling energies from another dimension. It's, and it's how they understand thing. it rather than know it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah the rules are the rules. To a certain point. There can be moments where, like, you know, oh, it's like if if I know that the person needs, you know, if you need a wand to be able to form magic, if I see a person, they don't have a wand, then I'm just like, well, fuck it. I just go, I can just go over and deck them, you know. But yeah. some sometimes you want a little bit of mystery and a little bit of the unknowable and the sense of magic being a force bigger than humans can comprehend, um, yeah. which is easier with, with soft magic because you don't have to, you can have that space to be just like, sure. Yeah, sometimes this shit goes wrong because it's fucking magic. Um, but I think, you know, it, it's interesting that the choices that we've made because they do, they run the gamut in terms of like how hard and fast the rules are and mm. the mood that they're trying to evoke with the mm -hmm. magic. Um, because it sometimes it's wonder and sometimes it's dread. You know, the, the, the magic in the craft is very much like there's this idea of it's something that has a lot of potential the good mm. but if you're not careful with it it can turn around and completely bite you in the ass because you are dealing with something that's much bigger than yourself Whereas electricity you... early science yeah. same thing it's like you can do wondrous things with this or you could blow up half of mm. japan it's like yeah ooh, where, where are we going with this kind of both whereas harry potter the magic itself never feels like it's bigger no. than the people like the problem is always the people doing the things you know it's voldemort being evil it's Johnny Depp coming along and being an arsehole. It's like the it's the magic itself is not the dangerous thing. There's never a sense in the Harry Potter books that that Harry's going to pick up his his wand, do a spell that goes wrong, and it's going to like blast away half of his body or suck him into a demon dimension or anything like that. For them, yeah. magic is just this an extra tool, but a very safe. It's not even as dangerous as like trying to wield a chainsaw. It's like. A Wait. It's both a mobile phone and a gun. Yeah. I don't understand that. Yeah. It's like it's like this thing here gives you the internet and you can all the things and you can find out a recipe yeah. for how to make really good brioche. 
and Avada Kedavra, motherfucker. Yeah. And it's like, oh shit. Yeah, that's, that, that is in, in many ways the most frustrating thing about the, uh, uh, the Harry Potter films. There seems to be no difference in, in terms of the, like, <laughs> the energy required, the effort, the skill needed to... Yes. But, the difference between pointing at a thing and going like uh, Lumos and it glows and pointing at a thing and going Avada Kedavra and you kill a, bo- a killer dude. Like, yeah, there's all you're doing is pointing a wand and saying some words like, wow, that is a yeah. big tool to hand to an 11 year old who you've stopped exactly. their education. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's funny you mentioned the whole kind of like trying to understand things bigger than you and the risk and reward of magic and, and all that kind of stuff. Because that is literally what Full Metal Alchemist is yeah. about. Yes, entirely. The, the reason he's missing an arm and a leg and his brother is transformed, his soul is bonded to a suit of armour and he lost his body is because they tried to bring back their dead mum and transmute yeah. and come up with all the like chemical properties of the human body mm. yes. and transmutate their mum back into existence. And they're emotionally and, scarred by what comes out. <laughs> it's a Del Toro yeah. moment. Yeah, this horrible body horror monster thing that yeah. wasn't even their mum is just this amalgamation of basically human body parts burnt to a crisp by the eldritch horror knowledge of the gates beyond. It's like, yeah. okay, cool. Like, this I'm is episode one. I'm a child prodigy. I'm the youngest state alchemist in history. Bang! Oh, fuck! I've not only created this monstrosity, yeah. I've lost my brother and my hand and my leg, and I will always be not mocked necessarily for it, but always be outside because of it. You always mark. That happens so much. They say it's a kind of guilty of the, you're the full metal alchemist, (laughs) like Sin. Because for whatever reason, in a fight, his cloak or his clothes will get cut up. And they do this in the live action version as well. Yes, Where it's like, and they'll see the arm, they'll see the leg and be like, you're a state alchemist. But that arm. You must be the the full metal metal alchemist. alchemist. And they later play up in other episodes where it's like, you must be. No, I'm, I'm his brother. But you're literally a walking suit of armor. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> Edward, who is like a seven foot tall walking suit of armor, is like, you're the full alchemist. And uh, Al, who's the, who's in the, who is the suit, is like, no, that's my brother. And, and Edward is five <laughs> foot nothing, yeah. four foot six, He's whatever he is. And, and the, the running joke is like, I'm no pipsqueak. Mm. I'm a state alchemist. <laughs> and uh, yeah. And, and so... The the concept of alchemy, like on a larger scale, talks about like literally talks about God and his domain and whether mortals are allowed to understand the concepts of, of God's domain and whether you understand the, the, the eldritch truth of the universe with this giant eye that sees through these like stone tablet gates that mm. are guarded by See, an endless void of whiteness. The, like, the magic makes sense sure. because you've got Alphonse, who's the guy that is, is the suit of armor, but he is in this void. His body is in this void, aging and withering away while his yeah. soul is in this suit of armor. And it's like, you establish this, there's no uh, gimmicky workaround. There is just the grind to get him back. It gets yeah. closer and closer and closer, but it's so hard. And it's like, why are you doing this? Because I fucked it up. And it's like, that to me, and this is the this is why it's such a jack pick in my opinion. It's the really. closest you can get to science <laughs> in a magic pick entirely. It's science, but magic. Yeah, and magic is proto science in a way. Yeah, and and it's the same thing of like alchemy you know, was proto science <clears throat> yeah, and medicine yeah. in real life as well. Right, exactly, That's the inspiration. Exactly. Yeah, and it's the same thing with like the fucking Manhattan Project. 
it's the notion of the notion of like creating the atom bomb. It's like, what are we? What are just? What are we doing here? But it's like the the concept of we are very much messing with something we don't understand. I mean, the the, the early uses of radioactive materials is ha, this metal's hot. <laughs> That's literally it. It's like this is warm for some reason. Feel yeah. oh a, a warm rock. Oh, I'm dying. I'm literally dying of something. It's so fuck. And the thing is, unless you have the understanding of chemical properties and the physics behind it, you just go, that rock is magic and it's cursed and it killed my fucking sheep and my land. Like, magic rock equals bad. That's magic. Whereas we now say, ah, but the chemical elements within the protons, the, the properties of the rock cause an imbalance in our own systems. That's what it is. Like, oh, I see. Magic rock is bad. Yes, magic rock is bad. I mean, we, we talked at the beginning about what is the difference, you know, how do we distinguish between stage magic and, and supernatural magic? And it comes down to, at the core of it, magic is something that is beyond your understanding. Um, and that, you know, if you see a trick performed on stage and you don't understand how it's done, that is effectively the same as, you know, seeing someone performing real supernatural magic. Um, yeah, Tim. The moment that, you do the the pen and teller thing of like, oh, you show how the trick was pulled off. It changes from being magic into being more about appreciating like a feat of engineering or a, a skill, which, you know, hard science kind of uh, hard magic systems kind of play with because at a certain point you are, like you say, it crosses over from being magic into science and, and simply a way of understanding yeah. and manipulating the universe. And it can rob the wonder from it that is that is that comes from seeing something that's just beyond <clears throat> our comprehension of how it's pulled off. Um, but it's it's what unites all those different disparate threads of, of what what is magic. It's it's something that mm. is beyond us, beyond our capabilities, beyond our understanding. Yeah, I think I think that's a, a great way to close it out, to be honest. We got real deep, way deeper than I was expecting. We opened the recording of this episode. We, we did a double shift today of the last episode and this episode in one day recording. And we said, well, it's magic. We only talking about nearly as much as we did all the like 20 odd Bond films. Oh, wait. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out if you get us in a room or even just on a call together talking about certain things, fuck me, we have a lot of opinions. Do you remember when episode one was like 55 minutes long? <laughs> Shocking. We broke down an entire... Entire film and two pitches in uh, 50 minutes and 28 nope, I seconds. I don't know how that's possible. I don't know either. I don't remember recording or editing that <laughs> and how we made that work, but my God. Yeah, here we are, ladies and gentlemen. You're getting so much content from us. You're very, very, very welcome. You're getting season finales that are four times longer than previous yeah. episodes. Put <laughs> <laughs> yep. that into perspective for you. That's insane. That's, trans that's not equivalent exchange. That's not equivalent exchange. Nope. No, we are we are pulling stuff from the gate of truth. From our fucking core. <laughs> <laughs> In a way, my soul is binded to each of my pitches. <laughs> Sacrificing so much. <laughs> yeah. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's a general and a slightly more specific discussion about magic in film. If you have any unusual suggestions about soft or hard magic or practical and stage magic that you'd like to suggest to us, you can hit us up on social media. We are sequelizers on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. If you want any of other contact details, you want an email address, our personal Twitters, or Discord, the Patreon, you can go to sequelizers.com. 
which is a hub of information for everything you could possibly want, including buying our merchandise, if you so wish. I am JLW Chambers, personally, on Twitter and Instagram. Matt, how can they follow you on the internet? Cast the spell Stogs! Cast the runes into the water, they will spell S-T-O-G-H-Z, and I will appear and say, fuck off! And also give you some <laughs> opinions about things. Nice. You Excellent. won't get a chance to decide what those opinions are. They will just appear. No. Alternatively, you can have my crafted opinions on the redrighthand.co.uk. Crafted? Nope. That's still not a pun. Ah? Uh? Nope. Ah? Uh? Nope. Hewn from my mind. Nope, not a pun. Uh, you can also go to cheeseman.com to see the things that I manifest and create. Tim, if you had um, a, a familiar, what animal would it be? It, it would be um, a strange beast, a vicious foul, cruel, and bad-tempered rodent that could Stoat. rip the throat out of questing knights. Sure. Or, oh, okay. or you see, there are those who call me Tim, the Enchanter. <laughs> Fucking hell, man. Well done. Well done. Uh, and, uh, oh, yeah, you can find me, Trivia underscore Lad, on Twitter, and that, that is where I shall cast my spell over you with my many retweets. Well, thank you very much for listening, everybody. Thank you for joining us for another interseason episode. We'll be back next week with something else interesting and unusual from an interseason episode. Mm-hmm. That's a little tease for you. See you next week. Alakazam, bitch. Abraka, fuck you. Yay! <laughs> <laughs>